Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Meaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, hold those bells tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm Leaning Right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler from Emporia, Virginia, and I'm turning left. Senator, good morning. Good morning to you, Hermie. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. He thinks thou dost protest too much. I'm so great. You got back from a uh, vacay? A little vacay? Yeah, I had a couple of days couple of days at the beach last kind of hoorah of the summertime with the family you know all about this very rare to get the entire family together including kids and significant others so we had a few days at the outer banks it was uh, a lot of fun and everybody's back to work we're getting ready for a wedding naomi's getting ready to go back to college and uh you know a lot of things going on in the petroleum business and things of that nature as uh as you well know, but welcome to another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. We're powered by Pacematic. Pacematic is more than an entertainment company. They're part of the community. They love to give back and help the communities grow and thrive. That's why Pacematic is a proud supporter of the Smart Racing Tour, this podcast, and Sadler Stanley Racing because Pacematic believes in supporting the neighborhoods they work in. To learn more about Pacematic, and the work they're doing in the communities, visit www.pesomatic.com. Well read. <laughs> yeah, you got great. a great sponsor. So With that we're fortunate. You're in Emporer. Uh, I'm at uh, the mothership Emporer, Emporer yeah. and I'm at the mothership at Smith Mountain Lake of the Stanley Law Group, sitting in the historic conference room of the Holland Duncan House, built in 1798. So we're doing this kind of separated we've been i think we've been getting a little too you know used to being in the same room i like that better but uh you know every show has to go on and so this week because you just got back from vacation and you made a political speech last night uh i've got to drive to portsmouth i've got a case a bunch of motions to try so we've got a bunch going on Uh, so this week's podcast is going to be done kind of remotely but we've been able to manage before and uh, we're missing our our sidekick, Shep Moss, he's a little busy right now. He's got some new responsibilities. Is he, is he in jail or is he out of jail? Or what was the verdict on that? I, I, my understanding is that he is not in jail. Uh, I had him go and talk to somebody who knows a little bit more about FOIA than I do. As I said in that podcast, you know, they'd FOIA'd his documents. I got another question out. about FOIA for you in a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> Remember, they were trying to find out who sent him the information that they were burning in that burn pile. Uh, town documents and, uh, you know, the citizen whistleblower and, and he, you know, wants to stand up and protect the citizen. So he went and got some good advice. I think he's going to do the right things and protect the, uh, whistleblower. And then, uh, but he's got to work today at Boyd and, uh, Boyd Chevrolet, I guess is down in your area. Right. And then Boyd Dodge, Southfield, Virginia Jeep, 
uh, is where yep. he is. And so we're Ram. always Dodge Ram. Uh, yeah. We're always very happy to have Shep. We don't have him this week, but uh, we'll get him well, on. It works. It works better. To be honest, it works better when we got three people talking. When we can all be in the same room, you know, talking to each other from a not only that, but from a production standpoint, you know, it just makes more sense to to do those things when we can all plan to be in the same room and do it and bringing a guest over Zoom or whatever the case may be. But we'll have Shep back in the next. A couple of weeks. We got a fun guest today. Yes, we do. Uh, you know, we, uh, I've said this to you on more than one occasion that the biggest asset I have in my life these days are the great friends that I made along the way in this crazy life that I've lived. And I spent 25 years or more, probably over half my life, uh, traveling on what I refer to as the NASCAR circus whether it be racing, doing television, media, otherwise. And I've got a boatload of really, really good friends that uh, even though I retired from TV back in 2019, I remain close with uh, today. And one of those crazy some bitches is Michael Waltrip. Man, what a great guy. What a great interview. Uh, and what a great person. I mean, he's still an ambassador to NASCAR. He really is. And, and he's always happy and yeah, you know he always brings that spark. You guys did a really have always done a great job in the pits. I mean that's got to be a tough job to begin with because you're dealing with the personalities right there on the ground at that moment. But I love when he goes through uh, the lineup right there before they get started and just does this kind of random grid walk. To everybody, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, and but uh, you know Michael guy, is um, happy to have him on. What a, what a, what stories he has? The brother to Hall of Famer Darrell Waltrip. Who does the opening to our show? Does the opening to our show? Yeah, he actually lived with Hall of Famer Richard Petty, drove for Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt, and he'll share some tremendous stories about the day that he won the Daytona 500, the day that um, Dale Earnhardt passed away. So don't want to give all that away, but our featured guest in the second half of the day's podcast is Fox Sports' own and my good friend, the Michael Walker. You cannot miss it. It's great. It's going to be great. I can't wait. Uh, it's really exciting. And, and uh, you know, and I will say, last week's guest, Sue Bell, uh, that podcast is just being downloaded and downloaded. If you haven't heard it, go back to it. It's not just we talk about the Invigo Beagle Freedom process, but then we get the special SmackDown ending in the doubleheader with Double J discussing the famous, the infamous last match with Ric Flair, his involvement. It's two great interviews, a lot of great fun in that podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, listen to it. Uh, the guy that uh, over at Camp World, uh, his, uh, he started listening to it. And, uh, man, uh, he said it was hilarious, so it has to be funny. If the salesman at Camping World at Roanoke, Aaron Arnold, says it's funny. So uh, there you go. We just got more viewers. Everything's you know, getting bigger. Make sure you recommend us to your friends. You can find us you on tell, all the major platforms. You tell your, you tell your, tell your salesman at Camping World, because we'll get to it later today, but uh, you are in the process of getting you a, uh, another motor coach. I am. To go camp out and support Saddle Stanley Racing at Carteret County Speedway in a couple of weeks. But you tell your salesman at Camping World to make sure he's got his pencil sharp because I communicate with Marcus Lamonis occasionally, mm-hmm. 
often, and we might just see about getting Marcus on this show to talk about, you know, great marketing mind, you know, great businessman. He's done so much for motorsports and other people that are that are in need. He great use of social media, those kind of things. But we will also get him to potentially peel the onion back a little bit on this deal you got from Camping World. So yeah, that you might make be a sure good your thing. salesman knows that we may have you know, we may have the hammer come in and actually give give his uh you know, after the deal's done and the, the coaches paid for and you know, the family's loaded up and dogs are shedding hair in it and all that that <laughs> we may go back and we may go back and revisit the the numbers. Yes. From Marcus Lamona. So we'll that, see. That, that would be a, a lot of fun. Uh, Aaron is a great salesman. Uh, we immediately clicked with him, my wife and I and my family. He uh, showed us around, was very patient with us as we were checking out all the bananas and seeing what we're going to do. But a uh, great guy if you're uh, in the in the field for a new uh, camper or an RV, Class C, Class A, whatever it is, go see Aaron Arnold. He's a really great guy and uh, fun to talk to, fun to deal with. And uh, one of those salesman uh, that really doesn't mess around. He, he just gets straight to the point, and that's what I like the most. So we'll talk about that. Uh, my Question. My reason, what? As I asked you to, or as I advised you to, did you test drive the unit before you signed on a dotted line? No. <laughs> okay. Well, so why? Okay. All right, so let's just talk about this now. I mean, we're already talking about it. To come back would be kind of <laughs> silly at this point. Um, yeah. I've, I've got, you know, some in, in the cockpit of, uh, in the pilot seat of, uh, my class C, a bunch of hours there, and you know, it's the same length. It's just a different position. A class C of course has the van front to it and the overhang over top of it. You're no problem. Then you have a, no cla- problem. you have a class A no problem. And it's kind of similar to this one. You know, it sits up higher. It's how many feet is yours? Uh, I think 28. Okay. Mine's 30. Oh, the one I'm buying is still. Okay, you got me. You got me. <laughs> it means the shitters. Pull your wanker out. You got me by two feet. <laughs> no, well, okay. I, it's the same. I wanted the same kind of length because I was used to driving that. But what kind of tips do you have for me? I mean, what's the difference? You've had Class C's now. Let me just I, and look. I say this in the. I drove my bus a long time when I had a like a 45, 48 footer, like a full bus chassis. Uh, I actually enjoyed traveling and driving at times. Although a lot of times I had a driver too. We would alternate things of that nature but senator i i I say these things with the utmost uh respect you're a very talented individual when it comes to legislating you're used to be my attorney now you're my wife's attorney right so i'm still very talented in that way but one area that you have not shown a lot of promise to me is your ability to, to drive. And I'm not even talking about motorhomes. I mean, you white knuckle your passenger car going down the interstate. I mean, you're, look, we, we did an event in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago. You and I went up and spoke to a room full of small business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and we updated them on our crusade that we do daily. Right. Fighting for small business against government overreach. It was a great day. Great crowd. But, you know, uh, you in a hurry to get back to Richmond. You had things to t- tend to in Richmond. So you left about 30 minutes before I did. Yes. Coming back to Richmond. And I ended up passing you on 64 before we even got to Richmond. 
and you were running in a maybe a 65-mile-an-hour speed uh, zone, you were running about 14 miles an hour. <laughs> so, And by the way, for the listeners, he gave me the bird as he passed me by. Okay, A he double bird. He shot me the double bird, and, yeah. uh, and I thought that was funny. So I'm just, you know, so... But slow driving look, is probably the, got, the hallmark of good Class you, A driving. You're not letting me finish my point, uh-huh. Senator. Then I'll give you the floor to respond. <laughs> okay. You struggle driving a streetcar. Th- th- this is my version, and you give me your... You struggle to drive a not even a full-size streetcar. Okay. Right. That's just my opinion, my view from what I see. Um, you also... The motorhome that you have now or that you are trading in as a Class C sits much lower. It sits much like a passenger vehicle as far as the line of sight when you're driving and cars and vehicles are passing you and you're looking behind. You sit down low like you would in a passenger vehicle. Right. Well, you got that vehicle stuck in your own yard the first day you brought it home. <laughs> in the mud. <laughs> okay. So, But still, I mean, you got it stuck. That's a true story. Okay, first day. Okay. So, and I just, I, I had advised you or had cautioned you that the Class A motorhomes, the the sight lines and the, the way you drive them, you sit way up in the air like you're actually driving a school bus or a Greyhound bus or something like that. And I just have concerns. Like, like what? About... Now, obviously, I'm going to that drive I might slowly. be on the road to, that, that I might be on the road the same time you are driving this new motorhome. Chances so, are I won't glance out the window long enough to see the double bird you shoot me when you pass me there. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm a, okay. When it comes to motor coaches, you know, the first time I drove it, we went to Southern National, and uh, he so Hermie takes a picture of himself. He's in like, his motor oh coach. man, the wind! I got a crosswind three miles an hour. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> So he takes a picture of himself in the driver's seat of his Class A motor coach, like up on the wheel with a shocked face. It's, it's a funny picture. <laughs> and he sends it to me. And I'm like, not funny. Not really funny. Because my wife had sent him a picture of me driving, and I looked a little intense. Um, but, you know, anybody has seen the pictures, anybody who saw the pictures of us at North Wilkesboro and other places, you know, they know, you know, you're uh, well tanned. You know, some people. <laughs> But that picture Laura sent me that day of you driving a Class C motorhome on a four-lane highway, uh-huh. you were white as Casper the Ghost driving uh, that motorhome. And so were my knuckles. And, and so, you know, that was the first big adventure. I've gotten used to it. I've gotten used to the, uh, the pivot angle from the rear tire, the, the drag. So you've you know, graduated. In, well, in, your mind, in your mind, you've graduated in a few short months from your, your, your four-seater personal vehicle to – your Class C motorhome to now, hell, you may as well get you a a Greyhound Newell, you know, forty eight footer, and, and 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 pull a boat behind it. You might, you, I mean, you're perfectly ready for that. Uh, no, but see, so are I, you gonna put are you gonna pull a vehicle behind your motorhome? Hell no, <laughs> never, no, 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 no. I'm gonna be in the right hand lane. I can see it now. What happened? Well, we jackknife right here on Interstate eighty one. Not happening. I'm gonna drive that thing. Leave in the driveway. I mean, uh, you know, look, it's a it's a Thor Ace, which is they say combines the best of an A and C together in terms of suspension. It doesn't drive itself, though, Senator. We're not there no. yet. So, what would your tip so, be? I mean, what is all right? So, you drive a, a coach. My tip like would have been like I told you before. Stick with the C. <laughs> look, you have a hard time taking advice. I get it. You're a strong-willed person. You're very, 
good about that. But my advice was just take it around the block. Just drive it one time before you buy it, knowing full well that you weren't going to do that. You were going to pick up the phone, tell the guy what you wanted, why you had to have it, the terrible park, uh, camping experience you had at North Wilkesboro, <laughs> how big is the shitter, all this, these kind of things. How big is the And tank? I knew you were going to buy it sight unseen over the telephone. That's why I planted that seed, Bill. Okay. I'm your friend. You are. I'm on your side. My bestest friend. Just drive it to be sure. Okay, but what tips are you going to have? I'm going to drive it, obviously, off the lot. Maybe I'll take it around the camp. Tips don't matter now. You've already signed the paperwork. Yeah. So, so what's your, so what's your tip? I mean, so be careful. Thanks. That's (laughs) be careful. (laughs) Be careful. And look, start out with the flashers on. Get on the highway. People going to laugh at you, honk the horn at you. Get in the right lane. You can bump this one up to. 18, 19 miles an hour, put the flashers on, get you some time in, and as you work your way up to 25, 30, 35 miles an hour, then, I mean, I know your first trip on it is going to be to Carteret County Speedway. Yeah, it's a healthy trip. Under normal circumstances, that might be a five-hour ride for you. It, it's going to take you 12. <laughs> uh, that may not be untrue. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm getting great advice from you. Be careful. Great. I mean, do, is there anything about the swing or the pivot points, anything you need to do? I mean, it is kind of like, you know, you're more, it's not straight when the, when the, when the coach, wheel. when the coach gets loose to the left, you turn the wheel to the right. When it gets loose to the right, you jerk the wheel to the left. Well, uh, not jerk. That's, don't do that. That's dangerous. So, yeah. Well, so, and, and you, and you hit upon the reason we went to North Wilkesboro and it was hot as blue Hades out there. Obviously, yeah. if you see the pictures on one of our websites, um, I mean our Facebook page, which is uh, Lean Right, Turning Left uh, podcast, or Sadler Stanley Racing on Facebook, there's a picture, of course, when we were in Victory Lane with Ryan Newman, and my face is so red. I mean, tomato red, because I'd gone out walking the, uh, the track with Hermie early in the morning, and I didn't put any sunscreen on, and that just started what then became a real thing. But, but the Class C, it's a really nice coach. It's got two slide outs. But I had my nephew, uh, my nephew was in there, Griffin, my son was in there, my daughter was in there, my wife was in there, and it was like being in a mini submarine, and the air conditioning was dogs. one air conditioning, oh, and two dogs, and in one air conditioning unit with a bunch of sweaty small people, and it was like a galley, and I was just like, if we're going to do this long term, I want something bigger, and so across the way was Hermie's coach. And Hermie had a Winnebago, has a Winnebago, very nice. And it's open. It's more spacey. It's more, you know, you can move around. You don't have to wait for somebody to come and get into the corner and let them pass. It's not like a submarine. So I just went out and looked, and I found not a used one, but a brand new one at the right price. Uh, got them to, to kind of give me a better price on the trade-in of my Class C, and this is where I am because I want to do that because we enjoy the camping experience. I think it's something we all are getting into pretty well, but we want to make it sure that it's everybody has their own space, not just, you know, everybody's piled in. All right, one, one last thing, then we'll move on. All right. The one you traded in, the one you traded in is how long? 30.5 feet. The new one you bought is how long? 29 feet. Okay. So the reason mine had appeared to have more room is because I was in it by myself. <laughs> you can open up the you can open up the slide outs on this new one you got and you put the wife and kids and their friends and the dogs in there and you're gonna be just as irritated 
as you were with the last one. All right. Well, this has. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. This has two air conditionings, one in the front, one in the back. There was a problem, you know, with some airflow, um, and it was hot. None of the problems that I saw that week had anything to do with the air conditioning. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you know, okay. we had you, me, Shep. Uh, we had Brad was in there. We were recording. We had. Uh, we had guests that were coming in and recording with us. I mean, you, you made a great crazy. purchase. You made a great purchase, and all of your your reasoning is completely legitimate. I, I, I don't see any. I, I mean, I think you've done everything the right way and for the right reasons, and you you're excited to get your new unit. And um, I, I mean, I'm glad that you're all in on the camping experience. I'm glad you're going to Carteret County to support uh, Saddler Stanley Racing. And I wish you all the best. Well, and we're we're staying at actually. And congratulations. Really nice, thank you. And be careful. We're staying at like a, a campground that's right careful. up against the beach. So we decided to make it a vacation for our kids. And we, you know, have we you got somebody else going with you that can actually bag the camper into the camp camping site? You have to back the camper in. Seriously, you could have to bag it in, and if you get off the gravel, you could get stuck. But. <laughs> Back I'm it sure in. For a small fee, Can't you just pull, pull it up and pull it back in the camper? You don't want to have your kids looking into the trees in the swampy area to the back <laughs> of the camper. You want them to look out in front of the camper where the swing sets and all the nice Ooh. amenities of the campground are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, backing it in. Okay. Well, now this does have a real neat, uh, like, total camera view of. Yeah, but it's not going to drive it for you. <laughs> but it's a, an iPad. Doesn't that make it drive it thing? I, I think it's going to be great. I hope you'll document the trip for us. <laughs> and um, what I would like to do, Chad and I have talked about this. You have. We'd like to put a GPS. We'd like to put a GPS unit into that motorhome. <laughs> so I'll always be able to track you, not only your location but your miles per hour. Uh, I'd like to put camera a camera unit on it, much like we would put on a transport truck or a logging truck so that when or if there's any kind of issue we'll have full documentation okay and miles per hour and location and anything of that nature. anything for the show uh i will be driving it very carefully i will be as careful as can be uh may try to practice backing in uh here in the you know i got a lot of acreage here at the office that's i'll try to do like turn around make sure it's not muddy so i get it stuck but i'm looking forward to it man i mean you know, we're committed to this, and and I'll, I'll joke in a side. You should, thing. you should, you should be looking forward to it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Y'all gonna make some great memories on the on the motorhome, and I look forward to at the next opportunity camping beside y'all again. So Brad sent gives me this picture on his phone. It's a T-shirt, and it's a T-shirt, and it has this truck and a camper uh, kind of design on it. it. Says, "Sorry for what I said when we were backing up the camper." So you think I'm going to probably say that to my wife, huh? Okay. Well, we'll see. And I will document the adventure and uh, and we'll do. You're planning on coming down to Carteret, aren't we? We've got that race coming up uh, or Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm cert- I mean, certainly Day. not going to camp for the week, but I'm going to come down for the day. Labor Day weekend, uh, Carteret Speedway, Smart Series gets back on track for the last final run. Now that Bowman Gray is finished, um, this is the series. And so you can watch it on flow uh, and you <laughs> maybe see my – Motor coach on flow. So, All right, so uh, give us give us a give us a leaning right sponsor and a leaning right uh, leaning right moment to chat on here before we 
get to turning left and then uh, to Michael Walter. And thanks for the tips, by the way, for your brother over yeah. here on how Be to careful. drive a Class A. Be careful. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Leaning Right Moment, of course, is always brought to you by Tom Graziano and the Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in Farmville, Virginia. The tasting cellar, which is down below it, right next to the Greenfront Furniture Outlet uh, store. It's not an outlet. It's a, basically a warehouse, but it, everybody goes there. If you've got kids at Hampton, Sydney, or Longwood, um, when you're taking them back to school, man, go get yourself a good meal or a cocktail. You earned it. You deserve it. You're dropping off your kid. You're about to get freedom. You're, you're an empty nester. You need something good to eat. And Charlie's Waterfront Cafe will provide it to you. Try one of their scrumptious desserts made in their own bakery. Tom Graziano loves his bakery, takes care of his bakery. All the major restaurants uh, throughout Richmond in the area uh, order from his bakery because they are just so delectably good. So Charlie's Waterfront Cafe, proud sponsor of the Leaning Right Moment. So actually, what you got? I, I got, you know, I'm doing some Virginia stuff. We've talked about left lunacy. We've talked about some ridiculous stuff. There's still ridiculous stuff going on right now. But I thought, you know, we just had uh, a day ago, uh, Governor Yunkin uh, went down to Petersburg. And, and he promised he would do this. And, and I think what we're seeing is he is still the governor of Virginia. He may be going to other states and giving speeches on how we can, you know, get the red wave in other states that may have been blue or kind of purpley. But what he demonstrated was keeping promises. And so he has created a partnership for Petersburg. Petersburg, Virginia, for those who are not here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, is a distressed city. In fact, it was bankrupt uh, just a couple of years ago. We had to send in from the Commonwealth of Virginia receivers um, to do their accounting. Uh, there was problems in the, in the Treasurer's Department. Uh, and they've been fighting to, to rectify all these issues. It used to be one of the great gilded cities. I think it's still a great city in the Commonwealth. But because with NAFTA and CAFTA, just like in Southside Virginia and Martinsville, you know, all of our jobs went overseas. Our manufacturing jobs went overseas to China. Government said that was good for us, and what it did was create an internal collapse um, in our communities. And, and Petersburg is one of those that has suffered from it, uh, suffers from crumbling schools, high addiction rates, lower uh, graduation rates than other places in the Commonwealth of Virginia. A lot of those things uh, have affected Petersburg and other areas like Martinsville and even Bristol, all those things. And so the governor has taken it upon himself uh, to make a partnership with Petersburg. And so what he's done is he has outlined his administration on his own, not through any legislation, six areas, six objective areas um, with 42 sub-objectives underneath them involving 61 groups, public activism, crossing uh, political lines, evangelical groups, churches, civic uh, civic bodies to come together and revitalize Petersburg. And, and so I just think it's great that what we're seeing is actually bringing down the temperature and trying to work together to, to solve common problems. And so Governor uh, Yunkin has, has uh, addressed this. You've got, you know, he, he's addressing areas like crime. You know, Petersburg suffers from, like some other cities like Portsmouth, crime infestation, uh, high murder rates. So they're going in there in a partnership to to clean up the, the crime rate, to, to lower the murder rate, to actually make it safe again to walk the streets of Petersburg and to make sure that everybody is safe and it gets a chance to enjoy their life and achieve the American dream. So the first thing that they're addressing is working together with civic groups uh, to address the issues of crime. And they have really specific, and I could go over all of these, but really specific categories of how they're going to do that. But but they're trying to reduce violent crime and crime against persons and property. And I think that's the first sub, uh, pillar that is important. And I think every city and every community can look at this as a guidepost, a blueprint, 
for how we make our places better. The second pillar is a strong education system. Uh, Because you've heard me say this, education can get you out of poverty. It can break the cycle of poverty. It can create a ready workforce that brings in industry. And it is so very important because the majority of our students in the Commonwealth of Virginia don't even go on to college. Uh, So they're talking about school revitalization and remodeling. Uh, The same thing that I've been working on, school modernization, uh, with Jen McClellan, Senator uh, out of Richmond. So I love to see what they're doing in the pillar of education. Then they're doing health care. They want to make sure that they're coming together in private-public partnerships in every one of these areas, along with the government, to try to make sure that we're fostering these objectives, these these, uh, 42 objectives, that they're activating all of these 61 groups. So they're, they're attacking healthcare because what we have in our inner cities is we have, much in the same way of rural healthcare, you have underprivileged, underserved communities that don't have access to good healthcare. So they're attacking that issue. And then they're, they're attacking the transportation issues. You know, Petersburg is just north of you and Emporia, and, uh, and they are along a highway, but there are a lot of transportation issues internally, roads that need to be fixed, not just the fact that they have the benefit of a highway, that they can access, but the roads inside the city of Petersburg absolutely needs needs uh, work and attending to. Uh, they they're putting together rail and transit projects, so I see a great opportunity there in the transportation end. Then they're working together on economic partnerships, private public partnerships to encourage businesses that are there to grow and thrive and hire people, encouraging businesses to come in with part of that education and part of that training. Uh, and community empowerment. I think that's the big win because they're making, they're not saying government's going to come in and take over and do all this stuff. What Governor Yunkin is doing is empowering, empowering the local government of Petersburg, but also the people and those activist groups and, and doing everything they can do to get the community to get involved, to take control of their own destiny, to move forward and make Petersburg great again. And so uh, I see this as a win-win. Uh, unfortunately, I've already seen, you know, like uh, the minority leader is also kind of poo-pooing it. Uh, the Democrat, Don Scott, who I know and I call a friend, uh, but, you know, he's poo-pooing it. The Democrats are kind of poo-pooing it. Not Joe Morrissey. Joe Morrissey's out there going, hey, let's work together. And in fact, the Democrat mayor, um, Samuel Parham, he signed the partnership with Governor Yunkin in a two-hour ceremony in Petersburg. And he said basically uh, a good... Uh, a good thing, which I think all of us should understand, uh, when they wrapped, when they were wrapping things up, and I'm going to read from the article, the governor called all the people who already signed pledges to come back to the stage to witness as he and the mayor signed their pledge to each other, that they were going to work together to, uh, to turn Petersburg. And they said for everyone in the city to come together at that moment, that's what ex- is exciting about this. And also uh, that basically said, and the mayor said, listen, uh, I've had long conversations with the governor and the mayor's a Democrat. He's got my back. I've got his. That's the kind of bipartisanship that we should be doing. We should find that commonality, rebuild communities, find out what we may have different objectives, liberal Democrat and conservative Republican, but we should all care about the children of Petersburg and all the families and helping them break the cycle of poverty. Cause that is one of my main uh, concerns because in rural areas like mine and in inner cities like uh, Martinsville and Danville, we've got those problems. We have more in common, inner cities have more in common with the rural areas than they do with Northern Virginia and the more uh, 
you know, affluent areas or Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach. Those guys have identifications. But the cities like Petersburg, Martinsville, and the areas like Franklin County, Bedford County, we have the same problems and we can work together. If we come together, put down our partisan swords and do the right thing. So hats off to Governor Yunkin. Uh, what a great initiative. Uh, absolutely, truly bold and new and fresh. Let's just stay committed to it. Let's see this work in Petersburg so now we can see it work across the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'll say two things about that. Number one, Petersburg, kudos to the officials in the city of Petersburg and to Governor Yunkin for taking this initiative. Petersburg is a tough, tough city. Um, I've got retail businesses in that area, and we've had to adjust our hours of operation and keep more people on staff for safety concerns uh, to operate in certain areas of Petersburg. It's very, very difficult environment to, to, to work in. Um, so I, as a business owner in the city of Petersburg, I applaud those efforts. But on the second part, to me, when things like this happen, it's, it, it becomes clearer and, and, and easier to understand which Democrats, which liberals really want advancement and unity and finding common ground and working together where appropriate to provide better opportunities, living conditions, whatever the case may be, because some will be thankful that the governor and officials in Petersburg, whether they be Democrats or not, are uniting or showing unity to, to help the area. They'll, they'll applaud it. They'll appreciate it. And there'll be some, Bill, as you know, that will come completely unhinged at the notion that any Democrat or any city leader, mayor, town manager, town council, anybody that uh, are liberals, they just think is just impossible to work with a Republican conservative governor like Glenn Youngkin. But for me, both the people at the top, including Governor Youngkin, are showing leadership, and it starts at the top. And my hope is that more people will embrace this opportunity than try to continue to create divisiveness um, and and hate. That's a strong word, but that's really what it is, uh, between different ideologies. So... Uh, my uh, my compliments, my my applause, my appreciation. As I said, I've got a two a couple of business uh, retail outlets in the city of Petersburg, and that 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 town needs some positive vibes, positive energy, and some things to look forward to. So I appreciate everybody involved taking those steps. Yeah, and and what you just uh, hit on. You know, I'm looking at some of these articles that it's gotten a lot of play in the Washington Post. Lusheries aired, who was a delegate was defeated by A.C. Cardoza, um, a great delegate. He's awesome. I love him to death. She's challenging Joe Morrissey, who was there, and said, okay, let's work on this partnership. Let's let's put down our partisan swords and let's get to work. So, you know, rather than say, hey, man, this is great. This, this is really good. Her quote was about Yunkin. Quote, he has spent his first year in office pitting white against black because it's been politically advantageous, Aird said. I just hope his new national ambitions aren't the reason he's now seeking out one of the blackest localities in the Commonwealth. What the hell is that do 
for trying to solve problems. See, it's always just like you said. There's always got to be some division or something. I don't trust what you're doing. You know, here you've got the mayor who says, look, you know, they've got a special bond. They hit it off. They're working together. Why can't we all just do that? I mean, we did it with the Beagles and Invigo. Um, Why? Because maybe the Democrat agenda and the way that they've managed Petersburg or mismanaged Petersburg to be uh, exact before this might come to light that people might say there's a different alternative, creating opportunity, creating opportunity, creating opportunity, empowering communities and, and the people that work in them to change their fortunes and to change their futures. And because you know what that does? That empowers the person over top of the government. The governor creates, the governor and the government through this program creates opportunities, but leaves the rest up to the people. Democrats don't like that. They find that to be scary because then, you know, uh, they can't dictate things. Well, when they dictate things, and we've seen it because all of our major cities, uh, most every single one in Virginia and a lot through the nation, are ruled by Democrats. And they have the highest crime rate. They have the lowest graduation rates. We've seen proficiency rates in the SOLs go down, and especially in those areas. And here comes a Republican governor. I mean, they have to make sure that he's white, he's Republican. They have a Republican governor say, hey, man, let's empower this community. Let's change our fortunes and futures. And they go, well, um, you know, maybe he's doing this because he's on the national bent. And, and he's been pitting blacks against whites for a political advantage thus far in his presence, in his governorship. I don't know where that comes from. She wasn't here for this last session because she got defeated. But and I, you know, I know La Charisse and I don't, I don't have any problem with her, you know, talking. But so lab schools, um, you know, that's pitting blacks against white. That was an initiative that Governor Youngkin put forward majorly. And it had a central focus to the historically black college and universities, the HBCUs. How was that pitting? I don't know what Governor Youngkin did, because I was there since his inauguration, did to pit black against white. But you got to say that. I mean, why do you, why, why not just say, hey, you know what? Even if you're like, uh, it's a wait and see. Look, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he's really committed. But to bring race into it, to bring, you know, these social issues when, in fact, if we just put down the differences. Um, well, there, there's, we there's going to be a lot done. of people. There's going to be a lot of people that do not want to see progress. It does not fit their narrative. They don't want the uh, optics showing through that Republicans and Democrats on certain topics for the betterment of people in certain communities can work together. They want to keep it. They want to hold everybody back. They want everybody uh, to have that same mindset that they have. And, you know, I applaud again, I applaud everybody involved for uh, Governor Youngkin has paid at least outwardly no attention to any of those Things He's gone and, surprise, surprise, has done his best to do what he said he was going to do when he was campaigning. Yeah. And, and I hope he'll continue to do that. You know, one of the greatest quotes he, he gave that day, uh, yesterday at the rollout, uh, I think perfectly states what conservatives believe. And he said, quote, I do not believe that government should fix everything, but I hold firmly to the responsibility of a public servant to be a catalyst, a full partner to empower to uplift, to provide alternative solutions. That's, that's the role, the true good role of government. Now, of course, Don Scott, I mentioned him earlier, 
He said, I'm glad at least that Governor Youngkin recognizes that government can work to bring people together to solve problems. Well, when you have too much of the government directing those problems, like I said, what do you have? You have the failures of these inner cities. So God bless Petersburg. God bless the people of Petersburg to, to take control of their own destinies for not just themselves. They owe it to the children. And you've heard me say this on this podcast. Our greatest natural resource in the Commonwealth of Virginia is our children. We owe it to them to leave them with something that's better, more free, more, there's more opportunity, more ability to live uh, safely and to achieve the dreams that they have for themselves and to be left alone from government rather than been interfered with or directed in their lives in government as, it's, as we've seen, unfortunately, unfolding both here in the Commonwealth of Virginia in our distressed cities and also in the nation. Uh, it's just something that has to be done. We've got to do something differently because... Otherwise, we're just going to tear each other apart. And it just seems like, to me, Democrats haven't gotten on the playbook yet. They still want to pick, poke, and, and, and blame. Uh, we want to find solutions. I commend our governor, our lieutenant governor, Winsome Sears, Jason Miares, who's going to be helping in the enforcement and making the community safer effort. They're out doing something. They're not talking. I see a lot of talk on the Dem side. Don't see a lot of action. Hope they keep up the fight. Because that is that is really a fight to overcome the um, the narrative that a lot of people on the left and the liberals want to want to push, and so yeah. And just think, uh, just think, continue to push. Just that. think, it can be a blueprint for the rest of the state, and if yeah. it works in the state, it can you know it can transfer to other states. So I agree. I hope it works, and I hope everybody stays the course. It's going to take some dedication. It's going to take again not getting into our political corners. We've seen it. It can happen, and good things can result from it. So please, I agree. if you're in Petersburg, work together. That great city needs to rise again. Yes, sir. I go along with all of that. So that's my uh, leaning right moment, brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. But uh, very happy to see hey, good positive news in Virginia. I uh, had somewhat of a leaning right moment last night. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. I uh, I decided to go, you know, I have yet to make any public announcements officially about any political aspirations. Uh, we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast about uh, the new 17th senatorial district that someone will, the, the Commonwealth of Virginia will elect someone to fill that seat in November of 2023. And we've talked a little bit back and forth about the possibility of me running. I have said that I'll make an announcement on those plans on November the 9th, on Wednesday after the midterms, because quite frankly, I just believe that everybody in Virginia's time, effort, focus, money, all those things should be focused on these midterms which, by the way, I'm also hosting on October the 5th a fundraiser and a meet-and-greet for Leon Benjamin at Fosho in Emporia Great. Um, to try to help uh, introduce him to him to more people in the area that I live in. But I, I've, I've said I'll announce November 9th because I want everybody to focus on the midterms. But what I have been doing is going around to some of the different um, district committees, Republican committees uh, across the 17th district, and just introducing myself, kind of talking, hey, this is who I am. 
This is what you may know me by, but here's my family business. Here's some things that I've experienced personally. Here's a little bit about our lawsuit. Here's about our fight for small business. Here's some of my personal beliefs. Uh, I'm considering running uh, for Senate, and I'll be back in the next couple months and update everybody on what my plans are. Well, I did that last night in Alla White, which um, we can say this because she's already uh, announced. She announced very early on, Emily Brewer, Delegate Emily Brewer, announced months ago that she was also going to seek election for that Senate seat. And Isla White is her, I guess you could call it her home district, her home committee, whatever you want to call it. So anyway, I, I, me and Naomi and Haley uh, went to the committee meeting last night, and also Jen Kiggins was there. It was nice to see her. Otto Waxman was there. Nice to see him. Um, but anyway, I, I was given the opportunity to get up and speak and introduce myself and talk a little bit about why I would potentially be compelled to run and what my plans were, timeline, things of that nature. And then at the end of my speech, I offered to hang around after the meeting and answer any questions anybody may have. Well, as I was walking away, a couple people, one of them sitting around the round table in the front, so I assume he was a committee member. Um, two people threw their hands up at one time and wanted to ask me questions in front of the group. So I said, okay, no problem. The first question was phrased something like this, like, are you a registered Republican? That was the first question. <laughs> we don't register in the state. Well, and I said no. And someone in the audience, before I could even finish answering, said, to your point, we don't register to vote by party in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I, and I said, but I am a Republican. And because I knew where this was headed, because in my opinion, um, from what I've heard from district, from different committee chairmen across the district, one of the narratives that uh, Delegate Brewer's folks are trying to, to push is that, you know, as a business owner uh, over the years, uh, I've not only donated to Republican candidates, but I've donated to a Democratic candidate in Rosalind Tyler. Well, not only and that, so person, and some for years there were people that ran against your state senator in the Republican Party. So it's not like you had a choice, or even your delegate. It was nobody. Oh. She, she, Louise and Rosalind Tyler were the only shows in town for fifteen years. Yeah, years and years. But, but anyway, so I said, "Well, I'm a Republican." Then this person says, "Well, since when do Republicans give money to Democrats?" And I said, "Well." Again, I knew kind of where that was coming from and where it was going. I said, listen, um, from a personal standpoint, uh, and she, he's talking about me donating. Uh, in the last election cycle, I chose personally to support Otto Waxman because I felt strongly that if he could get elected, the way he would govern and his policies would certainly uh, be beneficial to not only small businesses, but middle to lower income families and people that I deal with on a daily basis in my everyday life. I felt like um, we needed somebody like Otto, and I thought he would be a big help. So not only did I donate to Otto, but Angie and I uh, also catered his election night event out at Golden Leaf Commons here in Emporia, Greensville County. Uh, and we donated the food for that. And then we took off and went down to Jason Miara's 
uh, event in Virginia Beach in the same night. But I also, uh, from a company standpoint, and, and Bill, I've told you this, mm-hmm. um, you know, my company, I have over 300 employees. I have a diverse workforce. Uh, my customer base, thankfully, is diverse. I can go sit out at North Main Slippy and right up the road from my office and watch customers as they go in and out of my businesses. And we have a lot of support from this area, from this community, from blacks, whites, lower income, middle income, high in, you know, the the reason why we are successful in business in this area is because we get a lot of support from this community as at large, and we in turn try to return that uh, support to the community at large. I made a decision, or the reason why we would have uh, chosen in that case to support Audio Watchman and Rosalind Tyler because I didn't feel like it was right for me to promote someone who maybe I more personally believed in how they would govern, but try to squash or not have a voice that maybe some of my employees or some of my customers wanted to hear. So my theory was, let's hear from both of them and let people get informed on both sides and make informed decisions and the best candidate will win. And that's ultimately what happened. Uh, with Otto Waxman, you know, winning. So I knew where that was headed. Um, so I answered that question in that manner. And then an- another person that was planted, um, I call it planting stooges <laughs> in the, uh, you know, at the table. The next person asked me about my relationship with Louise Lucas. How long, you know, do you communicate with Louise Lucas? And I'm like, Louise and I were... Um, Co-grand marshals of the Ucrops Christmas Parade, I think 1994, maybe 1995, somewhere along in there. And I said, as a business owner, you know, you communicate with your legislators uh, on things re- regarding business. I said, but the last couple of years, I've found it useless to try to communicate with her. hadn't you know hadn't been mm. worth my time. And then this person says, well, I've got a bunch of emails between you and Louise Lucas. Would you want me to read them to you? I said, that's fine. Sure. Uh, read them, read them. You know, uh, at that time, the chairman uh, stood back up and said, oh, Hermie will hang around, you know, and answer questions, which I, I agreed to st- stay around. Of course, after the meeting was over, the two stooges that had been planted there uh, to ask me questions to try to throw me off uh, were nowhere to be found when the meeting was over. They, they, were, they were interested in making a scene. Yeah not really knowing stitched. what my reasons were or my rationale or whatever the case may be. Totally staged. So, yeah. So and, and, I and chose quite frankly, to, if I may say, say so, uh, quite a, an amateurish effort on their part. But, again, yeah. I will talk about I guess I should be expecting, you know, I've, I've told you this. One of my best friends outside of you, Senator, um, outside of politics or politics aside is, um, is Governor George Allen. Right. I speak to him. I ask his advice on many things, whether it be related to politics, business, family, friends, whatever. And the last time I was in his home, him and Susan, about a month or so ago, talking about um, decisions I had to make moving forward on whether or not I wanted to to seek political office. You know, one of the people that he's always admired and, and looked up to is Ronald Reagan. He talks about Ronald Reagan a lot, and he said, "Hermie, you, what I want you—one of the things I'd like for you to do is, as you're going down this path, is 
always remember Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment. I said, what's that? He said, basically, never talk dispar disparagingly or negatively towards a fellow Republican, especially as he called it in an intra-squad scrimmage, which would be a primary or convention or whatever, whatever the decision makers decide on who will be the candidate on the Republican side in the race in 2023 uh, for the 17th district. So uh, I just chose last night, and I will continue to choose moving forward to uh, just go around the district and tell my story and explain who I am, why I'm compelled potentially to, to run, who I'm fighting for, what I'm fighting for. And if people I'm running against decide they want to, you know, have little antics like this and put people up to asking questions. You know, I could have easily gotten into, you know, uh, Delegate Brewer's voting record on certain yeah. issues. Why do you want to do or, that? A, I mean, the, or donations she's taken that right. I view as against the Republican Party or the Republican creed or whatever. It's just not worth it. It's certainly, at, yeah. certainly at a point where I'm two months away from even announcing whether or not I'm going even going to run. You know, so um, that that I just thought that was interesting that they would go through the effort to either ask Louise Lucas for emails. I got nothing to hide or to FOIA her for emails, ask questions about Rosalind Tyler. <laughs> I, I just I just thought all of it was 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 odd and kind of interesting that they would resort to that at this point uh, in the game when she is a already a sitting delegate allegedly with plenty of support behind her, yeah. why would she be worried about me? But that, you know, well, that's just my opinion. All right. So my assessment being the political animal that I am and having run about four or five campaigns um, for office, number one, they're worried about you. If they weren't worried about you, they wouldn't be pulling this stunt. Two, that they would go to the extent of foying any communications that you might be having or have had with Louise Lucas that obviously will be surrounding probably minimum wage, skill games, small business issues, especially when she's right. the only game in town. And I mean, who, who else are you going to email and ask these questions or ask for support for or try to give your position on? Not only that, uh, look, I'm a conservative Republican, one of the most conservative Republicans there is in Virginia. I talked to Louise, you know, I talked to Mamie Locke, gave her a hug when I saw her and she was here at the, uh, Booker T. Washington Memorial, when we were trying to figure out how to honor him in the Capitol, um, one of my partners, Tony Troy, represented Louise Lucas. Does that make me a Democrat? I don't think so. It's, it smells of desperation, number one. Number two, look, the, the fact that they'd be willing to do that or that someone would be putting them up to do that, whether that's a campaign manager or the candidate, candidate themselves, kind of demonstrates to me not just the desperation, but, you know, you gotta, you gotta be qualified for the job, and you gotta want it. That's fine, but when you're fighting internally an intra-squad scrimmage, and this is what you're gonna do, then you're probably not the best candidate. Because you know, Hermie, people like you, people love you. Because no matter who comes up to you, and I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, you make them feel warm. You're not some snooty, you know, TV star or race car star. You're Hermie Sadler, and and everybody uh, walks away. Uh, feeling like they had a real moment with you, and, and you call so many people friends because you mean it that way. I think you just run a positive message 
as you're finding out whether you want to do this or not. I know that's still not a decision that's been made yet. But, you know, this, this office isn't about Emily Brewer or you. This office is about the people because it belongs to the people. The seat belongs to the people, not to the person that wants to be called senator. Uh, I know you're a guy that wants to go in there and do a job and fight. That's what I do. Uh, I've said it here before. My mother did not name me senator when I was born. My name is Bill. But Bill has a job to fight for the people of Southside and Southwest Virginia. That's Bill's job. Bill, go do job. Bill, come back home. Bill, take care of family and work. That's it. I don't want to go up there, and I know you're not saying you're the same way, that you want to sit there and go to a cocktail party and have people go, oh, Senator. No, you want to go up there and kick some butt, make sure our, our way of life is preserved, make sure we create opportunities. I, I said that last night, too. I said every reason that I'm standing here considering this is, is, is because of a personal experience that happened to me, whether it be the government overreaching into small business or whether it be how I was treated when I tried to approach, approach uh, legislators at the General Assembly, uh, what I felt like was their uh, denial of some of the impacts some of their policies are having on small businesses, my loggers, farmers, construction workers, and people that I deal with on a daily basis. Just not enough people talking about it. I, I laid out all those things. But I also, in the course of that conversation, when this guy was quizzing me about Rosalind Tyler, I said, you know, 99% of the money that I've donated over the years, which hadn't been a lot, quite frankly. I've never, um, I've never had interest in being involved in politics. I've never seen that as something I needed to do. But now the train is so far off the track. I, I got, I'm scared now about where we're headed. If, if, if people like you and people like me are not involved and trying to bring some clarity and levity back to our government, that's that triggered me. But you know, I've never donated huge amounts of money to anybody over the years. But just, you know, last year I, I said, hey, I donated to Otto Waxman. I donated to Bill Stanley. I donated to uh, Frank Ruff. I donated to Jason Miares. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I said, so, but none of those donations on either side have any effect or say nothing about who I am as a person and what my beliefs are, or if elected, how I, how I would govern or legislate. So um, it was a it was a little bit of a show last night at Alawite, but I will say, um, Bill, that um, after the meeting was over, I had several, including two committee members that were sitting up at the front, come back and speak, shake hands, have five, ten-minute conversations, and they both told me they planned to vote for me if I ran, and they appreciated me being there. So that I appreciated. Appreciate it. Well, and that's – see, that's kind of indicative, too. They were, they were trying to do a little ambush to you, a political ambush. This is the weapons they have to beat you over the head with. It's kind of weak. They're shooting their guns off early. They shouldn't be doing this. Look, let the best person win. Let the people decide – uh, let's not beat each other up to where you're a weakened candidate going into the general election against a Democrat, which may be Louise Lucas or somebody you can definitely count on the fact that they will be giving millions of dollars into this race because this race, the 17th, is going to determine the majority in the Senate, whether it's Republican or Democrat. That's why it's such an important seat not to be played with by amateurs, but going out there and saying, this is my positive message. This is what we're going to do. And not engaging in this, uh, it reminds me of my wife taught me in terms of raising children. Uh, when you 
when you react to whatever they're doing, if they're screaming or yelling or pouting or whatever, then they're going to do more of it. Don't react to this stuff. Don't engage. This is petty. It's childish. And it's amateur hour. And ultimately, the, you know, the voters are going to decide. And ultimately, when they look at a couple choices, let's say if you do run, they're going to look at who's the mature one that can carry us through. Who's the one that's going to represent us? Who's the one that's going to care about us, not about themselves? And I think, you know, that will become crystal clear as, as the primary or convention moves forward. You, you will find out one way or the other um, as a voter who your choice is, usually by the way the other person acts. And that usually crystallizes, okay, that's why I'm supporting this guy. And so um, welcome to the biz. You know, listen, it happens all the time. Um, I know when I ran first time, you know, it was a crowded field in in a firehouse primary. Uh, every speech I said, you know, cause they might have been the front runner and so people would attack and then like, I'm not here to attack. I like every single one of you guys. In fact, I became good friends with them and I hired one to be my legislative aide after all that. Uh, I'm not here to do that. That just doesn't do anything for us. And, you know, I'm here to represent the people and that's really what the job is. It's really what the job yeah. is. And so as long as you keep focused well, on I, that, you'll be fine. Yeah. I'll say this. If the goal was to dissuade me in any way. That didn't work. Yeah. So, uh, and that's probably so what they were trying know, to do. Uh, that uh, don't be that. that you know, uh, they, they're look, saying well, politics is a blood sport. It's a bare knuckle brawl. Well, okay. Well, you're bringing you know you're bringing emails. They should to try. They should. They should try brawl. to be. They, they should try to be one of five people trying to land a twenty million dollar sponsor for a NASCAR team. Right. That's when the backstabbing <laughs> starts. So, right. Um, but I would just say this: I will continue to make visits um, at locations across this newly drawn 17th senatorial district. I continue, I will continue to go out, introduce myself, uh, talk a little bit about why I'm there, what my beliefs are, what I have seen in my dealings with the government and what I'm fighting for and why. And to your point, um, ultimately they'll be the ones making the decisions on who they prefer uh, to having them represent them potentially uh, in Richmond in November of 2023. It's a so. people's seat, and it's going to be tough because it's you know almost split right down the middle. A little advantage yeah. to Democrats, and I think you'd get a lot of uh, people in areas that traditionally would be Democrat voters automatically who would, because they know you and the business that you do in Emporia and the other places, South Heel, uh, that would well, come it goes back to me. You know, who you are, not party you are. Yeah, you've, you've had the, you and I have had these conversations um, in the past. To me, it's also a sign of not enough people in Richmond that operate small businesses and are obligated to hundreds of people making a payroll every week and, and running businesses and make paying bills and doing that kind of thing. Because some of those people that maybe set those people up to ask those questions, you know, as, as a business owner, you have to communicate with legislators and politicians Um on different topics that are affect your district or your or your business, regardless of your political affiliation. So, um, I just thought it was interesting, a little bit funny, those kind of things. But um, I expect more of that as we go along. But my plan is the same: take the high road, ultimately to let people decide what they want. Kill them with kindness. I mean, just yeah. Uh, Brad and I were having a little offline conversation because I almost. You know, got into that, and and I was gonna, you know, 
I was like, it doesn't make sense because this person does this, but this. And then Brad reminded me, then you're just feeding the narrative that they're trying to put forward, which is being negative. And thank you, Chad. It was like confessional here on podcast. Yeah, almost makes up for the laptop uh, snafu. Would I got to buy you a new laptop to do this thing so we can record? Oh, no, we're not trying it online. So, anyway. We just got to get him mileage, a mileage configuration <laughs> to drive yeah. back and forth oh, to work. Stop with the mileage union. Hey, look, we, uh, on, 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 on turning left, I was going to talk about, you know, Carteret coming up in the motorhome. We already did all that, and I don't want to rehash all that because I think it made you mad. <laughs> it did not make me mad. It's just but I'm, I do I'm want expecting to, some true tips, some driving tips from an yeah. NASCAR driver, a classic I do want to talk a little bit about walking. I do want to talk about the races at Watkins Glen this past weekend, but before we get to that, I will say that Hermes Turning Left Moment is sponsored by Laura Stanley and Vista Installations. And guess what? The tagline has not changed. It is. Laura has been running a successful window and door installation company and babysitting politicians for over 12 years. She's going to be babysitting. Great sponsor for the podcast. She's going to be babysitting this one as we drive to Carteret. See, and actually the class A has a little She's going to be driving before. before you get out of before you get out of the town limits. <laughs> she doesn't want to. She's going to be driving. She doesn't want to, but I'm looking forward to driving with her. But uh yeah, and I'm sure she will point out all of my flaws uh just as you have. So Hey, did you watch uh, the Watkins Glen race on Sunday? I did. I did. I did. Watkins Glen's one of the few road courses that I actually like. Uh, I like to watch because it's still racy. It's not, you know, necessarily all spread out like that. There's a lot of good action. In it's my favorite road course ever. So much, it's so fast, some fast corners left and right, a bunch of elevation changes, really fun road course to drive. But ultimately the race came down to a restart with a handful of laps to go. Chase Elliott was, and the friends of my old buddy, Eddie Montgomery, Montgomery Gentry, lonely and gone. Yeah. And the caution comes out. They do a restart. Chase takes the outside lane, which the leaders had done all day. But on the last restart, Kyle Larson is on the inside. He gets a tremendous push from A.J. Allmendinger heading down into turn one. Ultimately, gets in there hot, locks up the right front tire, knocks Chase up the racetrack, gets by, goes to victory lane, wins the race. Your thoughts? Well, I, you know, the question is, uh, was he driving too hard? Was he, was he you know, uh, was he being a little chastainy? Uh, I don't think so. I think that was good hard racing. I think he had to do what he had to do to win. They're teammates, which is kind of the interesting point. But, you know, your teammates until the last lap, I guess, and especially when they're in that kind of position. Uh, I don't blame him one bit for what he does. That's good hard racing. And, um, you know, uh, good for him to get that win. And uh, so we don't have what now? I think if someone new had won, that would have been 17 new winners. So um, you've got him winning another race that's solidifying up the, the, the playoff picture. I just liked uh, what the Dinger did on both days. I mean, he, he had good racing uh, Second both place days. both days. And so a shout-out to our podcast friend Chris Rice. Yes. The president at College Racing for – you know, not as big a deal to finish second in the Xfinity race, but for them to come back and finish second in the cup race, of course, it's widely known that uh, A.J. Allmendinger is one of the best road course racers in the business. And he got up on the wheel those last seven, eight laps, those last two restarts, and put himself in position. If 
Kyle Larson had made any kind of uh, slip up whatsoever, uh, AJ would have been in position to uh, to win. So, uh, congratulations to Kyle Larson, Hendrick Motorsports, AJ Almendinger, Carly Grayson. Um, I also want to say, um, and you mentioned it earlier, I'm excited for the Smart Tour to get back on track. We've had a long break for the Smart Modified Tour, and uh, September 3rd, back on track at Carteret County Speedway. I'm anxious to get our, our cars currently fourth in points, Senator, and um, we need to climb that ladder a little bit. So hopefully that fight starts in uh, at Carteret in a couple weeks. Yeah, and... Um John Boy, Jonathan Brown, our primary driver, we like so much. I liked him so much, I named a, a stray cat I found at Caraway Speedway after him. He was doing quite well. Thank you for asking, Hermie. Um, you know, I think we've got a great chance. We're posting uh, well, I think, going into the championship. He, JB, uh, Jonathan Brown did a very good – had a very good run, I thought, at, um, at the Bowman Gray Series, which just finished up. Uh, he didn't win, but he was in the top five uh, all throughout the season. He won like four or five times. I mean, the guy's just a great driver. Great to have him back um, and to focus on the Smart Tour and Smart Series, you know, and, and so uh, we're very excited, and that's why we're getting to Caraway earlier, and, um, and we're going to do what we're going to do. And, and we thank our sponsors. Uh, we have our primary sponsor, Pacematic. But we have so many other sponsors that we, uh, we, uh, we did. I, you know, I had one question. I wanted to go back to, uh, to Watkins Glen. You jumped right to smart, but I was thinking about this. You know, what I thought was very unique was one of the great F1 drivers, Kimi Raikkonen. Is that, did I get his name right? Yeah. So they let him in. I mean, I thought we worked with a charter system. I think it was Trackhouse Racing. Justin Marks got him in a seat. He calls it like the Project 91 or the Project 93. What's going on there? Because, you know, it's hard to get a ride in NASCAR. I can only imagine with NASCAR's strict rules, he didn't get much practice time uh, before, you know, actually the events started into getting behind the wheel and, and uh, take a couple laps at uh, Watkins Glen. What's going on there, and is it good for racing? Sure. Um, first of all, he's one of the best race car drivers, much less road racers uh, in the world, has been for a long time. He ran a truck series race at Charlotte, back when I was doing TV many, many years ago. Um, and I, I know very little about whether or not Trackhouse had a charter for him or what it was or whatever, but I do know that he tested last week in that car over at VIR uh, in Danville. They went over, took the whole team over, got him acclimated to the car and uh, those kind of things to prepare him for the race. And I know he did not finish. He had some issues, did not finish, but I think had he not had those issues, he was certainly capable of running in the top 10 uh, in that race, which is very hard to do on a one-off type deal like that. But it's always good, in my view, to bring in drivers like that from other walks of life and other types of racing because ultimately you're going to bring in some new eyeballs. There's going to be some people that were Kimi Raikkonen fans, uh, F1 fans, things of that nature that will be watching that race for him that are not typically NASCAR fans. And you hope if 10 people watch the race, maybe five of them saw enough and like what they saw as far as that type of racing that they'll continue to watch the sport moving forward. So that wasn't any kind of publicity stunt. or That was a situation where they went with the intentions of 
you know, having a top five, top ten run, and if things fall your way, have a shot to win. Didn't work out that way, uh, but he certainly showed that he was capable of competing with and getting the job done on on a road course with the best drivers in the world. Yeah, he, he qualified in the top ten. I think he qualified eighth. He had a spin out or something and ended up with a DNF. But yeah, but it was you know it's always interesting to me because it's so competitive now. You know, you've been talking on this podcast before that, you know, maybe 50, 60 cars in the old system used to show up and only 40 some odd would qualify, 42, 43 for a race. Uh, And that was hard, you know, to do. Now they've kind of locked into this uh, system by which they have these charters, almost giving franchise rights to the race car owners, creating, as you said. Which is a great move, great move, by the way. Creating value. So yeah. I guess then Justin Marks has to use one of his existing cars and charters to, to make this program happy and happen. But is this some working together with NASCAR and the race car owners to try to bring F1 drivers in that bring more eyeballs, as you said, to it? Is it no, kind of that's sim- simply a track house deal that uh, Kimi uh, had a sponsor, brought it to a team, wanted a ride, track house put the deal together. Um, to race, no collusion, no partnership, no NASCAR is not involved in anything that I've ever been involved in, um, getting involved in who drives whose car on an owner standpoint. But getting back to your deal about the charter, and you're getting ready to experience this as co-owner of Sadler Stanley Racing. I experienced this as owner of my own teams back in the early to mid-2000s. Racing stuff, once you buy it, it immediately depreciates 70, 80 cent on the dollar. So what you had before the charter system, you had people like Rick Hendrick, Jack Roush, Joe Gibbs, Roger Penske, people like this that had millions of dollars tied up in equipment that if Bill Stanley you know, hit the lottery one day and decided he wanted to get into racing and, and Rick Hendrick wanted to get out, what leverage does Rick Hendrick have to create cash value for the investment, the 20, 30, 40-year investment he's made into NASCAR racing? Because Bill can offer Rick 20 cents on the dollar for all his equipment, Rick's probably not going to want to take that. If not, you can just go buy your own stuff, hire a good driver if you got a sponsor, and show up and compete. There was no really um, anything that encouraged new people to come into the sport and invest millions of dollars if you didn't have something that was worth millions of dollars. And this charter system, getting back to track house and Justin Marks, I and mean, he's just done a, you know, incredible job yeah. with his race team. Yes, but when it's all said and done, when it comes to comes down to brass tacks, it's not his race cars and engines and parts and equipment that have value. It's that charter that he's got, like a franchise in the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever. So they finally came up with a with a system that was going to encourage people to invest in their teams and in their sport, uh, buying cars, equipment, invest in people, infrastructure, whatever it is, because when the day comes, and it will come for everybody at some point, I'm glad to see Justin Marks, people like that, get into the sport, and Brad Keselowski as an owner. 
Because, I mean, let's face it, you look at Mr. Hendrick and Roger Penske and Joe Gibbs, these, these owners are, are getting on up there in age. We need some new people investing in the sport in a big way, and these charters have kind of been like an insurance policy in the bank supporting or collateral for uh, these multi-million dollar investments that these younger owners and even the people like Hendrick and, and those people are putting into the sport. Yeah, and, and one can only wonder, you know, I remember Brett Griffin when he was on our show. Uh, of course, he worked with Elliot. Larry Gar, Bird. Larry Bird. <laughs> Larry Bird said his, one of his favorite teams working for was Michael Waltrip Racing. And for some reason, and, and you, you've even talked about it too when, uh, when it came to sponsorship and making races, especially when he started out in the Toyota dealership. He said Michael Waltrip brought all this energy, all this great energy to, uh, to that race team, but it wasn't successful. And probably because in the same way that you just said, there was no value to the team whatsoever other than how you did on the racetrack. There was no um, you know, charter that is now you buy it at $1 million, now it's somewhere near $20, $22 million, they're saying, per each charter for each car. Um, I wonder where Michael Waltrip Racing would be right now if it had a charter. Because everybody who worked for it, just you know, in the, the interviews I've heard before and the things I've read, loved Michael Waltrip, loved the race team, yeah. loved what he did, uh, but it just didn't have that staying power that maybe it should have. And perhaps we'd be telling a different story with his race team still being here, wouldn't we? The other part of that, and I don't know if it was intended or unintended, but in my view, NASCAR would much rather have a situation where, as I said before, let's just say Bill Stanley was independently wealthy or won the lottery or just decided, hey, I got $100 million and I want to I own a NASCAR team. Now that you have to have charters, people that want to own a NASCAR team or want to get involved in NASCAR racing have to be really serious about wanting to be involved because they have to find, negotiate, and purchase one of these charters that is in the 20s, 30s of millions of dollars. NASCAR really doesn't want, and we had some of this back in the 90s, early 2000s during the NASCAR boom, you might say. We had a bunch of fly-by-night organizations, wannabe owners, whatever you want to say, come in, had this big press announcement, big public release, and hire a driver, buy cars, make all this hoopla, and, and go and do not make the Daytona 500, and then after that, you don't see them anymore. You know, and so you had a bunch of fly-by-night operators trying to come in and use the NASCAR marketing machine to kind of, you know, take a flyer, you might say, and, man, if we can go to Daytona, if we can make the race, we'll get purse money and go to Atlanta and try to, you know. But they packaged it as, hey, so-and-so is a multi-million dollar successful businessman from this type of business, and, you know, Evander Holyfield is his partner or, you know, whoever the case. We had all these people coming in with all these sports ties and major athlete ties, and and these people – Maybe came to the racetrack one time, you know, and but never got off the ground. And now, if you want to really and truly be involved in NASCAR racing, you got to put your money where your mouth is in the beginning and purchase or get in partnership with one of these teams with a charter because without that, you cannot compete and you have nothing to show for your investment. 
And so I think, like I said, I'm not sure if it was intended or not, but by doing that all these years later, it really prevents people that maybe want to do a publicity stunt or just take a chance or dip their toe in the water. It really prevents some of that uh, from happening and taking away attention and focus from the real players in the in the sport. Well, I always kind of like the grassroots guy coming in there and making it. So, uh, you know, the Cinderella story, the six-pack, uh, you know, kind of movie-type uh, rags-to-riches kind of success story for good racing. But, you know, Michael Waltrip had that had that team. I mean, when he left uh, DEI, uh, he starts with Toyota. What what happened there? I mean, you were there. You were racing. You were involved in the sport at the time. Uh, later got into broadcasting uh, while that's going on. What what took such a great guy, such a marketable guy? I mean, I remember the Lucky Dog was started. The Lucky Dog getting the lap back was started because Aaron's was one of his major sponsors. You had Napa. I mean, he gave he did great commercials. Funny as hell, easily likable, probably had a high Q score in terms of likability. Um, seems to have everything lined up. Was it the fact that he was bringing Toyos out for the first time when no one else was yet? What, what caused that not to work? He had everything he needed except the performance element. And unfortunately, NASCAR racing is a performance-based business. And a lot of times... Your timetable may not be the timetable of one of your investors or one of your partners, or you know he was basically bringing Toyota into the sport. And you know, I told you this story before. There were times when I had a relationship with Michael where Aaron's would sponsor me in addition to his team in case you know they had trouble qualifying. They'd have an Aaron's car on the on the track, but they just never. They didn't. They didn't um, perform well enough, quickly enough, to cement the team as a legitimate threat, championship caliber team early enough to suit Toyota and the sponsors, and probably even Michael. I'm trying to think. Besides him, who did they have driving for him? Can't. Well, Mark Martin drove for a Martin, while, and right. David Ruderman drove for a while, and I think they maybe even started with Ruderman and Michael. I'm not even. I don't remember exactly, but Ruderman, Michael, uh, Truex drove some. Um, I mean, gosh, he had, which is a bad sign, he had a rotating door of drivers early on in the operation, which is a, a sign also that they're they're looking for a spark. And and they won some races. Brian Vickers yeah. drove for him a few races and you know they won a few times, but I don't think I don't think it worked out early enough and often enough to please people like um, Aaron's, Toyota, Napa, whoever the case may be. And, you know, we got Michael coming up. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, I mean, what a story. I think I've got some life stories. I mean, what a guy like him. I mean, he – No kidding. He, uh, he – nobody has lived a life any more of a roller coaster ride in NASCAR racing, the good, the bad, the ugly, and all things in between – than Michael Waltrip, so I'm, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with him coming up next. Yeah, it's going to be great. Let's hope Chad Monday and his equipment holds out so we can have a nice long conversation with Michael Waltrip. We'll see what happens there because it's always a challenge, always exciting. But uh, that was a great turning left moment. I enjoyed that. And, you know, what I really want to talk about next time, uh, maybe even expand turning left and shrink down leaning right, is I want to talk about your involvement in go-karting. 
And when I'm yeah. saying go-karting, manufacturing, making the go-karts, because I'm watching on Facebook and all these other things, your company, Premier, is just rocking the go-kart world. Uh, lots of championships, lots of wins, uh, lots of success stories. I'm really, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah. yeah. So next uh, next one, let's plan on doing that. Let's see. We're having a production yeah. meeting, Hermie, with you involved. So, Chad, write that down. Uh, so uh, what a great uh, turning left moment that you brought to us today and, uh, and a yeah, great conversation. appreciate Laura and, and Vista Installations for uh, being my turning left sponsor. Now let's get to – we'll take a short break. Senator, we'll, get a, we'll pay some bills, get some ads in, and come back with our interview with none other than NASCAR legend Michael Walter. That's awesome. We thank everybody who supports us, everybody who's listening. You don't want to miss this interview. Uh, and thank you for listening to our podcast. We'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95. And Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's Exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm Hermie Sadler. I'm turning left, and we finally got him, <laughs> Senator. It's like catching a mouse in a condo with a colander. Hard to do. Well, Mike was one of the few people that would, if you were telling that story, he would believe it, because I've done similar things with him 
over the years. It may come up. Who knows? <laughs> Michael Waltrip. Michael, um, first of all, sorry for the technical glitches getting you on the show. But and look, I know you're busy. You're a man of many, many talents. I can't believe you're not on the golf course. First thing I want you to do is tell me how much you miss me. Then we'll go from there. Yeah, I mean, I always like to see your smiling face, your positive attitude, and just the energy you bring to any room you're in. It's just amazing that you've been able to persevere through these tough years of NASCAR, gritting your teeth, trying to grind, get it done, and you're still ticking. You're still having fun. This is Hermie, not Elliot. <laughs> I know, I like him. <laughs> Well, look, um, thanks for taking some time with us. And I've told everybody, every time I run into some of my buddies, I miss the hell out of all you guys, the whole team. Um, I spent almost 20 years out there, just the TV side, not not including the racing side. So uh, always, I still watch. I love seeing you guys. Love all y'all. And, and um, one of these days we'll have a chance to tell a whole bunch of stories after we're both too old, it won't matter anymore. We'll we'll let them go. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what? Um, we, better, we better both retire before that happens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> we'll do it at your eulogy. How about that, Herb? Yeah, please do. Uh-huh. Just write them down. and We'll read them. Hey, we want to go. You know, way back in time. But before we get there, Mikey, um, just your overall view on racing today. Um, how do you think the racing is in the top three divisions? Of course. So Kevin Harvick got one. You know, back at Michigan for the old guys, that was kind of cool to see. But just your overall impression of the new car racing, the fans, it seems like as much as people bitch and complain, there's been somewhat of a resurgence uh, this year just by watching on TV. Have you seen that at the tracks? Oh, certainly. There's a a renewed energy, I think, and I would attribute that to the new car. I think it's just leveled the playing field. We've seen – uh, 15 winners through 23 races. That's only happened a couple other times. And, uh, you know, track house racing becoming a big story. Using this new car to see guys like Corey LaJoy put himself in a position to win with his smaller team and, and just all the competitiveness. And the fans love it. It makes for uh, it makes for good TV, obviously, which is important to, to me. But uh, the vibe at the racetrack, Michigan particularly, if you saw the infields just packed, there's concerts. You know Tim Duggar is going to be singing somewhere. Uh, that they've just made the event. I, I always thought that the trip to the racetrack should be uh, a much as much about the experience as the race itself. You know, having fun with your friends and camping with your family or having a, a Ferris wheel or, or concerts. All those things, I think, are, are, are items that add to the experience for the fans. And um, and then the truck series this season has been a lot of fun too. Seeing Carson Hosbar just snipping at getting a win, and then just how competitive uh, week in and week out. We went back to RP for the first time. That was a great race. That was we're fun. Up to Richmond. Yeah. yeah, we're heading up to Richmond this weekend for another short track affair. So, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had a good time. It's been it's been fun seeing Ty Gibbs come on the scene and making the statement that he's made. And then you had Sammy Smith up front. Uh, Saturday in Michigan, you know, 18-year-old kid looking like he's a veteran. So um, I just think overall drivers are more prepared and ready to go racing at the at the, the top three levels than they've ever been before due to whether it's racing or short track racing, whatever they've done over there, uh, they start sooner. And so they're ready sooner. And I think we've seen a lot of that this year too. You know, you I want to ask you about trucks because the majority of our work together we did was covering trucks, which was 
always a blast. But you mentioned Ty Gibbs. Um, he's really come on the scene strong, and he, he's been able to drive in the Cup Series the last couple of weeks. Uh, we hope Kurt Busch gets well soon. But that brought me just to think real quickly about Kyle Busch. To me, it's just hard to fathom a, a, a scenario where Kyle Busch is not driving a cup car for Joe Gibbs Racing. But the longer this goes, do you think there's a real chance that he might not be back in that seat? Or what do you think is going on there with between Kyle and the folks over at Gibbs? Well, I think uh, certainly I think there's a real chance he won't be back there. I mean, I have about as much information as you do about it, Hermie. I mean, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but certainly the fact that it's taken this long to, to – to learn nothing, it has to be a concern for both parties to be able to uh, to, to try to get a deal done. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how much money he wants, uh, what kind of terms. All that is just talk in my eyes. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that that is a factor. You want to get paid for your body of work, um, but uh, last time I checked, they didn't have a sponsor, so that makes it a little bit hard to to put all those. Uh, requests or, 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 or desires in order. So I I guess we'll learn soon. I know one thing for sure. Ty Gibbs has run three cup races in this new car. He's completed every lap. And I think he put a scuff on the side of it at Michigan. got into the wall coming off the turn. Uh, but he has been so solid 16th, 17th, and 10th this past weekend. Really, really, uh, really, really good start to his cup career. And, you know, it's, it's time for kids. If you're going to get in a new car, in the next-gen car, I want to do it right now before these veterans learn more of the more about it than, than you can ever catch up to. You know, it's, it's something, something about getting in it now while everybody's sort of just still continuing the, the learning process. So uh, he's certainly proven he's capable of getting it done behind the wheel. Maybe that's the answer. Does he go to – does he drive the 18 car? What happens is – we, we just our thoughts and prayers are with Kurt when he cut is he going to be able to come back um, and and what what will that look like if if Kurt doesn't drive who's going to drive that car so I'm sure there's going to be a seat for Kyle Busch I'm just less and less confident that it's going to be from at Gibbs just from the what I hear and what I see but nothing's I don't know you know like I said I don't really know getting back to truck uh, to trucks for a moment Sorry about my voice. Deal coming from North Wilkesboro, going through our, puberty. Our, our, modified, our modified won the race at Wilkesboro, and we hollered all weekend, so <laughs> recovering. But getting back to trucks, um, who do you think is the favorite to win the truck championship? And more importantly, is our old friend Phil Parsons giving you enough time or any time at all to talk in the <laughs> opening show hits that y'all do before the green flag falls? Because back in the day. He had gotten in a pretty good habit of, let's just say, hogging the hogging the spotlight. That's right, Army. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's how much time I usually had after Phil was done. <laughs> I'm sorry. Had to get uh, that in there. <laughs> yeah. Phil's awesome. We've had a lot of fun together. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun together. Um, and the truck series is just, it's really cool to be a part of it and to, to have been a part of it for as many years as we have. You know, I, I don't think you have to look much further than the Smith boys to find the favorite for the championship. Everywhere we go, Chandler's fast, Zane's fast. So those are a couple of guys I think that, you know, you're going to have to 
to beat. John Hunter Nemechek will certainly be a part of the story before it's all said and done. But it's, you know, it's it's been fun. Taylor Gray at Indianapolis Raceway Park, 17, 16, 17 years old, looks like he's going to get the big victory, gets wiped out. And Colby Howard has been impressive week in and week out. Some newcomers to the series that, that are a lot of fun to watch. But old Matt Crafton, he's still hanging around. And, and uh, you know, he's a champion, and he don't want to go down without a fight. So uh, a lot of great storylines in the truck series. And I'm just I'm totally into it and, and enjoying every lap of it. And uh, can't wait to see this weekend's action. Yeah, it, it seems to be uh, more fun and more wide open. I mean, they're, you know, wrecking 16 back or, or bumping around. Uh, Haley Deegan seems to get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of business from people uh, back and forth in that in that series. But uh, it's kind of neat because you get to see it's almost just like wide open short track racing, old fashioned kind of racing. Some people say it's just crazy out there, but I think it's I think it's as fun to watch as as the top series. More fun in some ways, yeah. yeah. So what do you think about Haley Deegan? I mean, she's she looks like she's an up-and-comer. Certainly, I think NASCAR would want her to excel in the sport. Uh, she also has a, a lot of followers on Twitter. She says we need to shorten the races. Do you tend to agree with that, to, to keep the attention span of people like her generation to come to the sport of racing, to watch it, to enjoy it, and be a fan of it? I don't know. Not really. Uh, I think, I guess, let me back up. There are some 500 milers that are better 400 milers. We know that, but where do you, you know, what, how short do you want them? The truck races are usually 150, 200 miles. Uh, and so they are shorter. So that, that gives, that should give her what she's looking for. You know, you need a couple, three hours of, of, of window uh, on TV. So the, the people that pay the bills, uh, Fox, NBC can get their uh, advertising dollars so they can make it all work. So, um, they condensed the schedule quite a lot this year, post-COVID, what we learned and what we need and practice and qualifying. And just uh, overall, I think I like the direction we're going. I like where we're at. Um, I, I think that, you know, a 400 lapper on a Saturday night at Richmond is about a, or a Sunday afternoon, Saturday night, whenever it is. Uh, it's, it's as good as it gets. It's, it's what it's all about. So uh, I'm happy with the length of the programs. I enjoy the. I enjoy it from the broadcast booth for the amount of time we spend there. Um, I got to be in the booth out at St. Louis for the cup race. And that, you know, that was 300 laps, 300 miles, whatever it was, but it was really cool. And um, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing what continues to evolve with NASCAR. We're going street racing next year in Chicago. That's really cool. Uh, what else is new? This, the Coliseum out in LA was awesome. Yeah. And it was great racing. So I think NASCAR is doing some really smart things and some fun things, and I'm looking forward to seeing it continue. What do you think about the uh, – I think there was not just a rumor, but a mention that in terms of development of the, of the racing, that perhaps an exhibition, at least maybe next year, of electric cars might be in the offing. What are your thoughts about that? I, I just can't see a race without sound, gas, smell. But uh, now they're saying maybe, maybe do at least an ex- exhibition or one of the series having some electric races. Yeah, I don't mind that. Uh, who knows what what's uh, developing behind the scenes as far as electrification? I think some form of that is cool. Um, you know, you talked about Haley's generation, Hermie. You know, there's some kids that don't like loud noises and smell of gasoline. You know, that's just not who they <laughs> yeah. are. And so, if there is, if there is, and I've said this for a hundred years, and I, I and I know I'm exactly correct. The the cup cars. <laughs> The NASCAR cars, they're just too loud. I mean, it's really cool. Really cool for a bit. 
And then you have a friend say, man, <laughs> it sounds awesome. Like, yeah, it does. But they're going to keep doing this, right? <laughs> it's going to sound like this for like four hours, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. Pretty loud. <laughs> I think I'll go inside and have a beer. So, uh, yeah, I think they're too loud. They don't need to be. They don't. We'll see what electric looks like. <laughs> you know, and if you if you get it, if you get creative, you know, you can play music. You can, you know, you could have the sound of cars played. Who knows? Like I said, but um, I think somewhere between where we're at now with the way the cars sound, the level of, of noise versus, you know, mufflers that could make a Toyota sound like a Toyota. That sounds really cool. A Chevy, a Chevy, a Ford, a Ford. So you got another, another part of the race car that you can identify with. Are you uh, just one second off the, off the uh, grid here. Did, did you do your own hair today or you got professional help doing that? That is something special. You guys look identical. I got up and I went to the gym. I got up and went to the gym. I came home. My sister and brother-in-law are here. We uh, planting some grass and tearing some some uh, bushes out. And uh, then it was one o three, and I said, "Oh shoot! I heard, I think I told Hermie I'd talk to him at one." <laughs> so you got sweaty, Mike. But I'm gonna tell you what, Hermie, it looks good. I, I don't know how you do it. I just don't know. Look, uh, one of the funniest things. I know it wasn't funny to you at the time that I saw highlights of you over the years was when you came down pit road at Michigan and uh, decided to say hello to Lake Speed through the window net, gave him a little jab or two. And, you know, it I was two. Yeah. Then I said, you know, Michael has really calmed down over the years. He just like this interview, electric cars. Yeah. Races 300 laps, 400 laps, 500 laps. Yeah, whatever. But then I see you, at South Boston Speedway running SRX a couple weeks ago on a Saturday night, just out there having fun, entertaining the fans, and it looks like somebody irritated you a little bit. So I'm just curious, uh, when you strap back in, uh, to me it looks like it still matters. Is that is that a fair assessment? Nothing will get you going like a race car. I mean, it's all we've ever done, and, you know, I got, I got wrong at South Boston. I got run over, and it just – it just made me so mad because Uncle was, Mike, you know, Uncle Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Mike wants to fight. And then uh, luckily Uncle Mike started a brewing company. And prior to, after I got crashed and prior to seeing uh, the feller that wrecked me, I'd had a couple beers and, you know, beer just makes everybody seem better. That's right. So I, I forgave him and we moved on. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just it's it'll never change. Uh, I, I I had some of the best times over the last couple of years racing the SRX car when I was fast and was leading races and passing people that are legendary race car drivers. And then conversely, just as mad and just as sad as if you don't run well. So I guess it's just the competitive spirit that'll never go away when it comes to racing a car. I love you on SRX. And in fact, uh, you're on the SRX PS4 game. And I must say that my son, as Hermie knows, is a real fan of our friend Bobby Labonte, who's on that game and, of course, is on SRX. So my son always picks when we race each other down in the race room. He picks Bobby Labonte. So I always pick Michael Waltrip. And so when 
And my son is used to putting me in the fence in the NASCAR game. So I, Michael, if you don't mind, I take every opportunity to put Bobby Labonte into the fence as you. And so we were watching the South Boston race and my 11-year-old son Chandler looks up and goes, man, Michael Waltrip did what you do to me just then. Yeah. And so, uh, so from uh, a video game came truth. But, but I love seeing that passion in you. And I've always loved that. That's, you're, you're one of the happiest guys on the track. And you're also one of the most passionate guys on the track throughout those years. I hope you keep racing because it's just so much fun to watch. And, and my 11-year-old loves it too and, and loves watching you as well. But I was glad that, that he was accusing me of being something that I was not being Michael Waltrip. And in fact, turned out I was being Michael Waltrip on a video game as Michael Waltrip acted at South Boston, our home, our home track. Yeah, that, that was, that, that made me really mad. But I got <laughs> Hey, look, um, as far as wrecks go, I know you've talked about this a thousand times, but there's probably not been a crash in NASCAR history more talked about than your wreck at Bristol, uh, all those years ago when the car just disintegrated, um, on the racetrack, Mike Harmon tried to outdo you many, many years later, but he wasn't able to to do it, you know, as extravagant as you. But uh, <laughs> as you look back at that wreck now, I know people ask you about it probably every day. But what do you what do you remember about that day and about that wreck? People are just still they ask me all the time about it because they know you know I'm friends with you. It's just an unbelievable spectacle. And then your long, lanky ass got up at it and walked out of there and, <laughs> and went on about your business. It was crazy. Yeah, I remember that day vividly because I didn't I didn't hit my head. You know, usually you have a crash, you, you get a concussion, or we did back in the day about every other weekend, it felt like. But uh, I remember hitting the wall, and I couldn't breathe. Like, it was like it just knocked the wind out of me, and I— I passed, I blacked out from not being able to breathe. And when I came to, everybody's looking at me like I should be dead. And I was like, well, I'm not even hurt. I don't, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Now, the fact heard me that my feet were on the asphalt <laughs> instead of the floorboard of the car and the steering wheel was over in the passenger side of the, the right side of the car. Uh, that didn't dawn on me that something big had happened. And, um, you know, just blessed that it wasn't my day. And then, um, uh, one funny thing that happened is uh, I was in the infield care center and Dale Earnhardt came in and looked at me and shook his head. And he said, you're, you're one tough son of a bitch. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and walked, walked out. And I'm like, that's the best thing I ever heard. <laughs> what a compliment. And, uh, yeah, that was, and I raced the next day. Uh, I called my mom and dad and from the hospital and said, uh, I'm fine, but y'all aren't going to believe what happened. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just uh, thankful that that wasn't that wasn't my day, and uh, we were able to keep racing. I was going to wait till uh, later to bring this up, but you brought his name up, Dale Earnhardt. You know, I know uh, there's probably not been a person in your life that's been more influential uh, than Dale Earnhardt Sr. And I know y'all were friends long before you drove for him and uh, did things together professionally, socially, all things in between. But ultimately the opportunity to drive for him really turned out to be the, you know, the, 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 the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in your career. We've all learned and talked about that, but I'm just curious, what was it about you? Do you think that motivated Dale Earnhardt senior to give you the opportunity to drive at DEI, which had to be the opportunity of a lifetime for you? Yeah. In the eighties, uh, I drove his bush car at Dover and, 
then uh, in the 90s, I think, I drove for him again at maybe Rockingham. And, you know, we were buddies. We were, we'd go fishing in the Bahamas. And, you know, he just always believed in me uh, that I could win at, at any level. Uh, I think I ran second in his car down at down at Rockingham that, that day that I drove. And he just didn't – I think he thought, you know, that I could win. And that's that's, that's all he wanted was, was a, a car that he thought – he could put on the racetrack that was capable of winning just like Dale Jr. and just like Steve Park had. And he thought that I was the guy for that, for that seat. And, um, you know, we, we talked for years about it and I, I quite honestly began to wonder what, you know, would it ever happen? Or is it, was time running out on me? And, um, we, we, we put it all together. So that was some special times from the end of 2000 till, Heck, till the last lap of the Daytona 500, it was uh, it was the best of times, and uh, people people sometimes will say, you know, wonder what NASCAR would be like if Dale was still here, and um, you know, I I I uh, I say, yeah, I wonder, but then <clears throat> I walk off and wonder what what I would be like. Yeah, you know, you know, I hear yeah. it all the time. I know you do too. People say, you know, what if Alan Kowicki had lived you know, raced 20 more years? What if Davey Allison had raced 20 more years? And I'm quick to throw in, what if DEI had continued to build and been DEI for the next 20 years? I mean, what that organization accomplished, I mean, they really hit the ground, you know, and started revolutionizing a lot of different... I remember testing a car for DEI at Talladega one time. I was testing some engine stuff for y'all with Richie Gilmore and all that, and I've had my old cars, and I'd be in at Talladega driving and doing my thing. And then I got in that DEI car at Talladega to test. And when I turned the damn thing into the corner, it sped up. <laughs> you know, it's like they had it figured out back in those days when you when they put that car in y'all. It's like the RPMs and the engine, the tone of the engine would increase. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, I'm trying to figure out how my car, you know, bogs down and does all that. They had a, just a, a tremendous you know, packaged together, but, you know, I guess it's easy to get lost in the thoughts of just what if that organization had stayed on path, on track with Dale's leadership and all the smart people he had under one roof. I mean, in so many ways, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but he was, he was just way before the time, uh, you know, from, from, from day one with that organization. Would you agree? Yeah, it was his baby. You know, he, he, could walk over to the engine shop and talk to him about camshafts or weight of the pistons, or he could go to the body shop and talk about air and how it flows off the back of the car. He, 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 he was hands on every part of that, that, uh, of that race team. And it was, uh, it was really exciting and it was educational and it was, it was fun, uh, knowing that I was going to be able to drive for Dale and, you know, he was going to coach me and, you know, when I got done on Sunday, if I didn't win, I better damn sure have a good reason why I did. <laughs> and, uh, his direction, his guidance uh, throughout the, the winter months of 2000 and into the 2001 season was something that, um, a lot of people don't know about, but we, we spent a lot of time talking about how we were going to go about racing our cars and, um, and not just Daytona, but 
went to Vegas and Rockingham. We were one of the fastest cars at, at the tests prior to the 2001 season. So uh, it's, it's a sad story for sure. But didn't he even tell you, I mean, you'd gone, what, 462 races? Don't bring that up. No, no. <laughs> okay. What but, the hell? He going to hang up. No, no, because it's one of the greatest things ever. I mean, look, it's, it's it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I mean, indelibly, in my mind, is hearing your brother make the call as you're crossing the finish line. I mean, the excitement was for us all at that moment because, you know, from what I remember, there's a story, at least, that goes around that says the night before, a couple nights before, um, Dale comes to you, Michael, and says, this is how we're going to do it. And almost as a prophecy, you know, the three of us are going to get together, you, you, Dale Jr. and Dale, and we're going to win this race for you, Michael. And that actually came true. Isn't that, or is it something I've just heard and wished to be a part of that, that perfection of the imperfection on the day in question? Well, he said that, that he said me and Dale and Dale Jr. would, the three of us would, would work together and one of us would win the race. It was, it was never said that I would win it or he would win it, but he said, we've got to work together to win this race. And, um, you know, my, my part was I'd fought to get to the front at the right time, missed that big crash. And then there's a, there's a moment that nobody really knows about or can notices, but I was on the outside after that last restart of Dale and I passed him and, and got to the bottom. And when it happened, I'm like, he just, he just let me do that he let me get in front and um I, I watch it back and i see it now and you know i know i know every nuance of racing at that place and you know he got on he, he let me in and then dale jr fought around him and he got behind me and and then dale you know dale stayed there and just pushed us he could have he could have made moves but like he had told told me on friday uh the three of us are going to work together and win this race. And he made sure that's exactly what we did. Amazing. And, and, you know, from that moment on, even though it was a triumph and tragedy, uh, the July race, when you return to Daytona, Dale wins, Dale Jr. wins. You're there on the bottom of the, uh, right there at the start finish line together on top of your cars. I mean, no one could have written if you, if you didn't believe in God, or if you believe God didn't like racing, that all changed your mind the way it worked out that day. And that day in July, I think was just as special for me to watch, made me cry. Uh, and I'd never seen, you know, a lot of times racers aren't so happy finishing second, but you seem like the happiest runner up I'd ever seen uh, talk after a race. Um, and what was that feeling to come back to that racetrack? It had to be so hard, but yet there was another moment of triumph for you. And again, you did it in 2003, you won the Daytona 500 in 2003, but that July race was something, something for the memory books. Yeah, it was special. And we, um, you know, I, I, I hadn't really talked to Dale Jr. about anything. We, you know, I was, uh, I was married with a, with a family and he was a young kid running around having fun and we didn't really and, talk. And now, now those roles have reversed. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't really talk about what we were going to do or how we were going to do it. We just did it. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I stayed, you know, I got to the front and, and was so happy I made it there to, to push him home and to be able to celebrate with him. Uh, we went to Daytona, both of us, even though we never talked about it, with one thing on my on our mind, and that was to get revenge. We wanted to go get back something that was taken from us 
and um, being able to to do it was wow. one of the best memories of my career. So you're saying after yeah. the Daytona 500 that year, before you went back to July, you and Dale Jr. never sat down, just you two in a room somewhere and had a moment about all that? Nah, we never did that. That's funny, too, because we had so much success on the plate races. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I think had the attitude that when, you know, we both knew what we were doing. When we get to the front, we're going to figure it out when we got there. And um, that's how it went down for, for many races for, for a few years there. Yeah, you guys were the greatest one-two punch. I mean, when you talk about teams, race teams, you see it, I think, in my mind, less and less, where it was just two cars riding together, working together in a way that, that really stood out. And I don't think I've seen it since. So during from 01 to 05, I think – you guys had it going on, probably the best race team out there. Yeah, and um, it was a lot of fun, and then it fell apart. And um, I went my own way, and Dale Jr. eventually moved on as well. And we started our team with Toyota, and, and uh, Dale went with Hendrick. And, you know, we, we built a special – we built a really cool race team, a really good atmosphere, and we won races, and we contended for a championship. So uh, – you know, for a 12-year-old kid from Kentucky that just dreamed to be like his big brother, to be able to, you know, to race cars and own cars and do TV, I mean, it's been a pretty crazy run. Um, luckily, it, it's uh, – luckily, I had a lot of fun along the way and and uh, certainly some life-changing experiences as well. I know I've, I've been a, fortunate to be around you a lot of times, a lot of time over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, and so – You've done a really good job of masking or putting that burden on the back burner when you've continued to race and do TV because I know it has ached at you, um, you know, uh, for all these years. But, you know, when I think about Dale Jr., I just can't – and maybe you can shed some insight on this. What, what, was, what could the burden that he was immediately put under right after uh, the wreck in Daytona 2001? I mean – he was just ultimately, immediately uh, pushed into a situation where he had to, you know, um, try to fill shoes that could never be filled by anybody. Do you have any, any, any concept of what, you know, even to this day, but especially those early years after Dale's crash, what it must have been like, the pressure on uh, Dale Jr. at the time? Yeah, he just, he just handled it so well. You know, he, he, he had the Uries there that, that were his family and, you know, they, they helped him focus on what needed to be done. But, uh, I give him a lot of credit for what he was, you know, the position he was put in and how he handled it. Uh, obviously his, his upbringing, his, his parents, uh, and, and all they taught him and, and how they prepared him to be an adult all played into him uh, being able to handle the unfortunate situation that he was put in. So uh, even today, he's just a great guy, a great, a great friend, uh, and a and a just an incredible face of our sport. Uh, I, I'm really thankful that I got to know him better I, over the years. I don't think to be in his position, I know a person any more humble than Dale Earnhardt Jr. We went North Wilkesboro a couple weeks ago for the modified race. I just walked across the racetrack to go check on my car, which, 
you know, Ryan Newman was driving and got a big win for us at North Wilkesboro. But Dale Jr. just hollers at me as I'm walking across the track. I hadn't seen him in, you know, over a year. I text with him once in a while. But he called me over there and he had a little tag-along motorhome. And we just talked for 30 minutes and just about the old days of him and my brother and the times. And, you know, I've been places with him out. And sometimes I've joked that I don't think he realizes how famous he really is. He just never – he's never – come off like that but you know just you know um he, he's just he's just humble and you know for that uh, i appreciate him and i know you guys uh have have, a, have had a special bond some that you that you built and some that you were put in a position to have your your thoughts on that yeah i just i couldn't agree more and um i'm, I'm glad he's happy too you know he, he genuinely when he's not on tv when just like you said if he's at wilkesboro or if he's at the grocery store, you know, you bump into him and he just seems so content and, and thankful and happy for where he is in life. And, uh, it certainly, it certainly shows. And, um, like I said, it's a lot of, a lot of people really loved him and cared for him and helped him, uh, throughout these years. And he appreciates all that. And I know we're running out of time, Michael, but this is a great interview. I hope you come back on. For all of our listeners, if you haven't either read the book or seen the documentary in a blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, it's so powerful. It's about Michael's you know, upbringing through racing and, of course, the events uh, with Dale Earnhardt Sr. That's another. I mean, I sound like a crybaby because I've now admitted to Michael that I've cried twice. But that movie will really uh, tug at your heartstrings. But what I want to talk about just real quick is the Michael Walter Brewing Company, which has opened a door open door to its facilities in Danville, Virginia, which of course is my, in my Senate district, but talk about excitement. Everybody's having, I know you've opened one in Bristol as well. How'd you get into beer? Um, what made you do what you, you're doing and, and, and what do you hope for the success of Michael Waltrip uh, Brewing Company? Well, a couple buddies of mine, one of them's name's Brian Sperber and Hermie. You remember him? He was I do? the president yeah. of Phoenix track. And another fellow named Glenn Gross, who owns bars and restaurants. We were out in California drinking wine, and we said, we need to drink more beer. And uh, I'm like, well, I don't – I mean, beer's kind of boring to me. And uh, I've always just been a Bud Light or Miller Light guy, you know, never really got into the craft beer. And they said, well, we need to, we need to try some fancy beers. And uh, we, we went to uh, Denver, Colorado. I have a buddy that's a brewmaster. And he said, go to Denver, Colorado. Meet your friends there. Y'all walk – wander around there's a ton of microbreweries there taste beer write down what you like make notes and uh come home and we'll talk about it and those notes turned into our first fleet first three styles of beer we have a coconut ipa and it's coconut because it knocks the bitterness of the hops and the hoppiness and all that down it just tastes like a good full body beer um and then we have a mexican lager which I kid Daniel Suarez all the time. That's our beer, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Cold Mexican lager. And then we have a blonde ale. That's just a full, just a full body, lighter, lighter tasting ale beer. Um, and I, you know, I had my hands in on the taste of all three of them because if my name was on it, I did, I wanted it to be my beer. And, um, and I own a third of the company. The three of us own it together. So I didn't just put my name on it. And I tell you, I had so much fun coming to Virginia and seeing people smiling and drinking our beer at South Boston. The the track bar there at the South Boston Speedway sold out of our beers. Me and Bobby Labonte, Kenny Schrader, 
uh, we all we all go over to the to the bar after the race and uh, hung out with the race fans. But but beer makes you happy, and beer makes mean people well, nicer. Now that you're in Virginia, we've got to talk about getting you in slip in food marts and saddle travel plazas and Hermie Saddles Fosho Bar and Grill. We got to work that out. I cannot believe I haven't already used that friendship uh, bridge. To get <laughs> well, I'm, open, I'm opening the door. So whenever, <laughs> whenever you have a chance, all I want is to be in my refrigerator. You've yeah. got much higher hopes there. Yeah. Well, we we've got store stores and um, truck stops and we'll restaurants. Put them in his store, put them in the refrigerator. Perfect. Yeah, that's right. Done that's deal. Right. Done and done. Michael, thank you so much. Um, I would like to get you back on here, maybe after this season's over, maybe again uh, next spring. Uh, I've always appreciated appreciate you. Um, you've always been good to me and my family, my brother, and uh, I really cherish all the years we work together. And um, you know, maybe uh, we'll get together and tee it up real soon. And Michael, I, I want to thank you also bringing your beer to South Boston. That's part of my Senate district, Danville, Bristol, uh, bringing your small business into a place that really needs that kind of not just recognition, but but it's like saying thank you to us. And that means a lot to us. And, and it's a real honor to meet you and be on here with you at this time. So, yeah, we definitely have to have Michael on again. We have a bunch more questions. But Brad Tuesday, our producer, bought a cheaper version of Zoom when his Riverside uh, hosting didn't work for you. And so now we have this like timer that says we have one minute and 31 seconds left. Yeah, so. you got cut off, Michael. <laughs> you got cut off. <laughs> okay. I just have one question for you two. Like, I'm in my new office. I'm in my house and I got a little office here. My chair won't set up. Mm-hmm. I don't want y'all to think I'm laying down on the job. <laughs> Can you tell I'm laying almost at a 45 degree angle? I've, look, I've never seen you look better. I mean, you, good looks and personality. You've always been eat up with it. No doubt about it. Well, the the desk is up to yeah, your chest, so that kind of gives that kind of appearance. Let me get. Let me show you square. There you go. I just well, can't. Gentlemen. I can't believe you're not on top of the, the pizza place anymore. Let's talk about politics. What do you say, gentlemen? (laughs) You're talking our language now, Michael. What a great time. Thanks, man. He's trying to talk me into running for Senate of Virginia. Um, So I'll have to get me a chair like that if I decide to do it so I can look important. I'll work on that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sadler for Senate. I think you'd you'd make a great Senator, Hermie. There you go. Another endorsement. That's an endorsement. It is an endorsement. Michael, thank you so much. The great Michael Walter. Appreciate all you do. We'll see you soon. Y'all have a good one. Thank you for having me. Thanks, guy. That's the one, the only, Mike Michael Waltrip. Yep, and the one and only Brad Tuesday making it only a 40-minute interview because his equipment's failing him again. Either I'm buying him the wrong stuff or he's just doing this on purpose to gig me. What do you think? Uh, Could be any number of things. Yeah, I'm going to have to explore this a little bit. What a great guy, though. And, you know, that was a real – you get the the jovial Michael. You get the – but well, very introspective, Michael, in that interview, I thought. What did you think? Look, Michael's one of my favorite people. Um, he has a tremendous gift of getting the job done, not only on the racetrack, but he's turned, parlayed that into a over 20-year TV career. Right. Nobody's had higher highs or lower lows than Michael, uh, but through it all, he's always found a way to, you know, to, to be friends with people and mm-hmm. include people and, you know, his family. And, and I mean, it's just, you know, I, he, he came back in 1992 before I even started racing full time in the Bush Grand National Series. 
we had a grand opening of a car dealership I bought in South Hill, South Hill, Virginia. And uh, he and his then wife, Buffy, came up and spent two or three days and, you know, signed autographs for, him, for me at my dealership and, you know, did all these. I mean, just just a, a good friend to have. And he's meant so much. He's, for several different reasons, so majorly intertwined in the history of NASCAR racing. Oh, you're not kidding. I mean, and you don't even think about his brother, Daryl. Just think yeah. about, you know, those two and all that. And, um, and let me tell you, I mean, I brought up the 462. He used to call it in interviews, 462 losses before he got a win. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest win you can get in auto racing. And it's the greatest moment in time. And I was that's what I was talking about in the interview when he, you know, I'll never forget hearing Daryl uh, Waltrip, DW, going, you got this, Mikey. You got yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, that echoes in in my mind as a part of res- racing lore, if it had just been that and alone. I mean, he deserved that kind of victory and to come back around uh, on the next lap in a time of championship when you're going into victory lane, to hear that your owner, your best friend, may be in critical condition and or dying, um, and, and he did it to protect the lead for you and, and his son. You know, and I wanted I mean, to get how to... Does, how does that hurt? And so? I wanted to get to this with him, too. Uh, we will on the next podcast. But you might think with his older brother, being Daryl Waltrip, that Daryl, you know, opened up all these doors for Michael and helped him get opportunities. Right. And I'm not saying Daryl didn't try to help him, but it Daryl didn't just give Michael this and give Michael that and you know, give him cars to drive and all that. I mean, Daryl was focused on his own career at the time. And I guess the right way of saying it was he wasn't always welcoming Michael into stock car racing with open arms. He made – Really? Michael was forced to, you know, go make his own opportunities, create his own opportunities. Um, And a lot of the stuff that Michael did, he did it, you know, um, know, did it on his own. And so, you know, later in life, of course – you know, I know uh, him and Daryl, you know, doing TV together a bunch yeah. of years and, and, and racing together in, in later years and all that. But it was just, you know, Michael is, he's a, he's a survivor. I mean, he really, really and truly is. He has found a way uh, to do things and he's turned his racing career and his personality and his relationships into a career on NASCAR television and on the racetracks. And he's a sponsor's. Darling, you might say. I mean, he. We talked about his beer, all these other things. I mean, he is. He just finds a way to 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 make things happen. He so. does. He doesn't. I'm choking. <laughs> but while you're choking, that was our turning left moment. <coughs> and <laughs> great, you're gonna make me choke more. Yeah, I want to say that uh, I swallowed my uh, Hall's lozenge. Our turning I, left the wrong moment. Way. As always, is sponsored by Laura Stanley and Vista Installations. Laura has been running a successful window and door installation company and babysitting politicians for over 12 years. That's just as good of a turning left moment as we've had I, I think you're right. with this podcast with the incomparable Michael Waltrip. I think you're right. And just going back to Michael Waltrip's history, uh, I did a little research his first cup race was the World Are you 600. Saying we could have gotten to this if Chad had a- Yeah, if Chad had gotten the extended version, I was going to yeah. ask him about this. He won six races getting to his first cup race, but then went 462 races without a win. But when he got to DEI, he wins that tragic but spectacular 
It was a great race. Mm-hmm. You were there, weren't you? I was. I was spotting for Elliot. Yeah. And, uh, and I think in an earlier podcast, you said you didn't even know what was going on. Did not until we got home. And that's, that's amazing. And back then, of course, you know, even in 2001, you didn't have that kind of instant uh, back and forth through Twitter and Instagram, those kind of things. He was driving for the Wood Brothers. He'd been involved in a, in a crash earlier, was still riding around, but not in contention to win. And it was one of those things. Everybody was in a 911 hurry to get to the airport to get home because you didn't want to be 30th in line sitting on the tarmac, you know, burning fuel, trying to get out of the airport. Right. And we didn't know. Uh, we knew there was a wreck, obviously, because Elliot even mentioned on the plane. He said, hey, yeah, Earnhardt and some of them got together on the last lap, whatever. Didn't think anything of it until we got home and pulled up to the airport there in Emporia. And my mom and dad and my sister were there, and which was odd. Right. And then they told us about it. We didn't Back in those days, we didn't have like XM radio or anything, no television on the plane. So we didn't know until we got home. That's amazing. You know, and then he goes on, quite frankly, and that's what I was trying to touch on, but I'd love to talk to him more about. They go back. It's a one-two finish with Dale Jr. winning in the July race. He wins in 03. I mean, if you went to a super speedway, those two guys were at the front of the pack yeah. together all the time. He had So he went 462 without winning a race, hooks up with DEI. Dale gives him that ride, and all of a sudden you see the racer that we always knew was Michael Waltrip, and he showed it with those victories that came afterwards. I think he's a Hall of Famer in my mind. Uh, I, I, he was always fun to watch. And you know, they had the... He's a great race car driver and a great announcer. The best combination. They had, in those years at DEI, they had the fastest cars on speedway races. And Dale Sr. and Dale Jr. get a lot of the attention for knowing how to plate race. Right. But Michael was just as good, in my view. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Of of figuring out how to get it done on plate How races. to use the air. Yeah. Yeah. Out of catapult, you was there. He was, you know, you take Dale Senior, Dale Junior, Michael. In 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 today's racing, you look like a Denny Hamlin, um, Brad Keselowski. There's a there's a group of people you really trust that you feel like if you can follow them, and they'll lead you, put you in good spots, give you a chance to get a good finish, maybe even win. And Michael was just as good um, in that era of speedway racing as as the others and like i said i i couldn't believe it i told you I, I mentioned it to michael i had made a deal i don't remember all the particulars but i made a deal with richie gilmore who was still the head engine builder with ecr engines you know those guys didn't really like going to talladega to test because it was just monotonous you know going to ride and laps by yourself right. and but a big it, track yeah but it's a good good opportunity for me because I could learn things about their cars and things and try to help my own cars. But I made a deal with Richie Gilmore. So I went and drove for DEI and tested for two days at Talladega. And in exchange for that, they gave me an engine to run in the season-ending race, one of those years at Homestead Miami Speedway, like an R&D engine for me to test. And, you know, engine leases 50, 60 grand a pop, you know, back in those days to lease an engine for one race. For one race? Yeah. So, you know, I made a deal with him to go drive and test. But, you know, I had been to Talladega many times and never had a car that when I went down in the corner and turned the wheel, the damn thing sped up. Normally, when you turn the wheel to the left and scrub off speed, the car would bog down. They, they had their cars figured out where they would get the car in a certain pitch in the center of the corner and the RPM band would increase. And I'm like, no wonder... Nobody can pass these cars. Right. Because 
usually when you get to the corner, you slow down. Right. And they were getting to the corner and sped up. And they had they had a just an unbelievable package. How'd they figure that at the time? How'd they figure well, it was a combination of you know, first thing everybody talks about is motor. But and they had great motors. But they had their aero platform figured out to where when the car got a certain angle and yaw in the corner, that it was taking air off the spoiler to go faster while not at the same time giving up downforce, which was grip. And so they had just as much of a just as much of an advantage aerodynamically as they did under the hood. And that thing was some kind of fun. You know, they even had a electronic um, RPM, you know, tachometer. So usually tachometer is like a, like a dial, but this one was electronic. So I could see like in thousands when the RPMs mm-hmm. would increase. It was sitting right, you know, right on the steering shaft behind the steering wheel. And you could just go in there and just, and of course, I could hear it too. It'd be like, you know, when I went in, the, went in the corner, the pitch picked up like somebody was behind me pushing me. And you're not lifted. You're just, oh, no, no. You still got the foot still, in the same still spot. Still wide open, yeah. And uh, just an unbelievable thing. But I, you know, Dale, as Michael and I talked about, you talk about Davey Allison. Yeah. God rest his soul. You know, you talk about, I mean, Alan Kowicki. And there's so many people you can look back and say, what if this, what if that, right. what if this, what if that? And I'm thinking to myself, what if DEI were still here? Oh, yeah. What would they have accomplished? You know, that first shop that they built, they called it the Garage Mahal, DEI. I mean, just an unbelievable facility. And they had the best people. Who, who wouldn't want to go work for Dale Earnhardt Sr., even though he was driving for Richard Childress? You know, so just a well, you know, and and again, we ran out of time because of our limited on Zoom, Brad. But one of the questions I would have asked, and I think when we come back, we want to ask, we got to pick up where you know they're going hot. I mean, they are hot, and then I think it was like the last year, oh four, oh five. Uh, Junior switches Tony Uri, Tony Uri Junior, with Michael, and Michael's team goes over to Junior. I remember a wreck. Uh, when they kind of got into it, or or Tony Uri Jr. got into it, it was a little uh, hot under the collar, maybe, that Dale was trying to do something intentional to their team. They went from being the hottest team, always together like two puzzle pieces, to then quickly falling apart and going their separate ways with Michael going on and starting, I think, the first Toyota team, as you said earlier, right? Yeah, but none of that happens if Dale Earnhardt Sr. is around. You lose that leadership, yeah. then you're like a dot with that feathers yeah. in a lot of ways, and so... Um, but I wonder what happened. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just an amazing, you know, because they were unbeatable. I mean, it looked like the sky was the limit. And I guess maybe even the, the struggle for power and control uh, between knows? Teresa but Earnhardt when you, when, and when you lose, Dale Jr. was causing some of that when friction. You, when you don't have the guys whose who's name's on the building and the, and the respect he commanded when he walked in the shop. Um, but what an interview. Uh, yeah. You know, so lucky for so many years I got to race with and against Michael Waltrip. Uh, almost 20 years of TV. Uh, with him and yeah, you guys you know, are great. What a story! I mean, what, I like it even today when he just runs through the line right before you know they fire the engines and yeah. he just tries to get a quick hit the interview. Great walk. Yeah, and he does. He says some of those silliest, funniest things, and it's always he funny to see. Yeah, he does, and I hope he keeps racing in SRX. He's fun to watch. He had a great year last year. I think this year was a little disappointing for him, um, but he's so fun to see out on the track. Maybe we should get him in the Sadler Stanley machines. 
you offer that to everybody that comes on the show. I don't know why you didn't <laughs> wait until he hung up. To, I'm really easy, aren't I? You, you offer everybody a free run. We ran out of time. Brad, obviously you worked with Brad to make sure that I couldn't offer him to yeah. see him if he wants to run a modified, but I'd, I'd love to have him. When Michael, you know, when the interview went off, I'm like, this is the first driver or anybody NASCAR <laughs> personality that Bill had just invited to come get him back free on ride phone. in the car. Yeah. Hey, Brad, get him back on. Let's um, ask him. We're out of time. He's used up all his time on I'm this free Zoom trial. Brad messed up the Zoom. So yeah, so let's. Uh, we had Riverside. That's who we use. You know, it, it works really well. For some reason, not getting it together. We put it on Zoom. We we didn't have the glitches we had. So I'm sitting there thinking, and as the, the moment I'm thinking, man, Brad's got this worked out. There's no glitches because sometimes when we did Zoom early on in the podcast, you'd hear people become computerized and voices in that. Yeah, yeah, in the clock. Damn. And all of a sudden, you got ten minutes. You got ten. Wrap minutes. it up. Like a trick. Like you did this on purpose, Brad. We'll do it another time. Man, he is we'll so much time. fun to talk to. I hope we get to talk to him again. And can you text him and just say that I've invited him to drive? No. I just deleted his number on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, did you write it down? Excellent. We have his email. We'll be fine. You wow. can also give me your wiring information from your bank, too, so I can wire some more money. <laughs> I thought you already You know, we've that. already talked about how people well, sometimes maybe falsely assume that you know, race teams make money, yeah. and we're both putting personal funds and right. monies into our right. operations. So, look, I falsely assumed bring, that you already had my bank account information since you had my wife as your sponsor. You, so. you invite all the people. <laughs> look, we'll even put Brad Tuesday in for, for a race, but the money's coming out of your account. <laughs> I'm not investing in Brad's racing career, mm-hmm. nor Michael's. Fine. At this point, fine. I love him. Fine. Whatever. I gotta go get more sponsors, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> get with it. But we want to thank Pacematic again Absolutely. for uh, giving us this platform. Uh, another great show in the books. Yeah. Um, and wow. we'll uh, we'll be back. You know, last couple of weeks we had Jeff Hammond. You know, we had Chris Williams. We had Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yep. Uh, do a segment. You know, a couple of weeks ago, and you got Michael Waltrip. Yep. We got Ray Everham coming up. You know, uh, in the next couple of weeks. I mean, a lot of stuff going on. Covering race. Thank God for Hermie. Because <laughs> he'd just get a bunch of delegates and senators. Yeah. It was just me. Uh, but really and truly, thanks to everybody at Pacematic for this platform. Thanks yeah. to you guys for listening. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. If someone relies on you financially, your spouse, your child, anyone, life insurance gives you the peace of mind that they'll have a financial cushion if something ever happens to you. By making it easy to compare your options from top companies, Goliath Life helps make sure you're not paying a penny more than you have to for the life insurance coverage you need to protect those you love. At GoliathLife.com, you can compare personalized quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. The process is fast and easy with no hidden fees, upsells, or hassles. Goliath Life is your one-stop shop to find the life insurance you need at the right price. Head to GoliathLife.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's GoliathLife.com. Bill, you can always count on Michael Waltrip to provide us and our listeners with a bunch of laughs. And you can always provide on Chad Monday to get us a limited interview because of his equipment. And I guess I got to buy you a better computer. I guess I got to get you a Zoom account. 
mean, so one of the best look, conversations this is, this we got. We're limited to forty five minutes because you, this big is, Brad. This is y'all. go, buddy. This is y'all. <laughs> this is y'all's way of um, trying to think of the right word, but ambushing or screwing keeping it up. my guests down. Yeah, screwing it up. Um, Effing it only up. Only forty five minutes with the great. Michael Walter. Well, that means he's going to have to come back, and that means yeah. you know, did he did he say did he you, wanted did, to drive? Did you a offer car? him a ride in the yeah, modified? Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Did, did he yeah, say yeah. he was going to drive the car? Yeah, I, I, mean, don't, I don't. I don't uh, know if he's been. On we'll that bring one. him back on, and we'll ask him that again. He he. That what a, what a great in depth interview that turned oh, out to be. Sabotage was the was the word I was using. Ah, sabotage. Y'all were sab- y'all sabotaging my guest by yeah. cutting him off. No, that's no. I, look, I really appreciate. Talk to. I really appreciate Michael. Uh, work with him a long time. Raced against him forever. A great human. Work with him for great human over being. fifteen, over a long time at uh, Speed and Fox. So appreciate him being on. A lot of fun. What an honor. Uh, great human being, just like I said before. And uh, you know, th- it does show and demonstrate that you know you said earlier, uh, friendships matter to you, and your reputation matters to you, and yeah. the way you treat people matters to you because you can see it in the way that people treat you back. And I think that's uh, that's quite a testament to who you are, Hermie. And um, and, you know, that's why I love you, brother. So, I what appreciate a, that. Love what, you, too. Love you, too, man. Uh, and uh, and I will keep I you, you totally. More. I love you more. No, no, right. no, no, Chad, no. Chad's <laughs> going to get upset. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this awesome podcast. Thanks for always listening. You can find us and, and tell your friends about us on all the major uh, podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Just go there. You can find us also on Facebook at Leaning Right, Turning Left Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, and the Twitter handle, Hermie, is? At Sadler Senator. Yes, the Twitter handle that almost got Hermie in trouble for me. Not Senator Sadler, <laughs> but Sadler Senator. That's right. Find us on Twitter. We'll always, we always do snippets and updates, so you can listen to a little bit of the uh, podcast and then, and then go back and taste it. We have a heck of a podcast library now of over 30 episodes that you can uh, – we have 32 episodes uh, – Her, uh, Hermie, uh, that's what Chad says. 32 episodes now in our library. Go back and listen to them. They're hilarious. You know we try to be funny. Uh, and you can always find us on our own website, www.sadlerstanleyracing.com. You can go there. You can find out uh, exactly all about the podcast and the race team and our updates. Also, we've got merch, merchandise for sale. Sadler Stanley Racing merchandise, number 22, uh, powered by Pacematic, smart car, uh, Jonathan Brown, T-shirts, uh, make sure you find us. You can find those uh, on Facebook as well, uh, and you can find it through the uh, through the website. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for another episode. Thanks for listening. God bless you all. Take us out, Hermie Sadler. Well, you go first, remember, because you lean right. You no, go first. No. Oh, okay, right. All right. I finally let you go first on something. <laughs> I screwed and it damn, up. if you're gonna screw that up, sabotage, man, sabotage. All right. Let me see if I can do this. Thank you for listening. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right into a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. I want to mention on this podcast, since it'll drop before Friday, that this Friday night I'll be at Mel's Place on behalf of Pacematic, 5020 Farrell Parkway, Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'll be there this Friday night from 6 to 8 p.m. with the Pacematic show car in advance of the NASCAR Wheeling Modified Tour Race over at Langley. So any race fans that are in the area of Virginia Beach, come by and see me at Mel's Place uh, this Friday night. That'll be August 
the 26th. Oh, we got to get you the hero cards out there that you can sign. I think we have some left. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and I'm turning left, uh, leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator is always powered by Pacematic, and we appreciate everybody who downloads and listens to this podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great week and a great weekend. See you next time. Goodbye. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com.